Hey, Jay. Nope. What? Uh, oh, it's Jimmy. <laughs> you, you and the audience have the same reaction. Uh, Jay is here in spirit, but he's not with us right now. But we're here with Jimmy, who is effectively uh, not even a guest anymore. He's just series regular. Jimmy Dykstra, back at it again. Uh, here to, we, we got a great thing. We've actually been playing on this for a while. And this seemed it's like true. The, the appropriate time to do it. So, But before we get into that, we're going to talk about movies today for quite a while. Um, Jimmy, I wanted to ask, uh, what is the first movie that, that you saw in the theater? So, I know for a fact, uh, but I cannot, because I've been told, but I cannot remember uh, or ha- that the first movie I saw in theaters was when they re-released Star Wars. And oh. Hope. And my a parents... Okay. Yeah, my parents took me... And like I know, they were like, "This is the first one we took you to." We had to take you out of the theater every time Darth Vader was on the screen, basically, because <laughs> <laughs> it was loud and scary. We didn't want to like scar you, but somehow I was still in for most of it. So it's exposed to light brother sister incest at a young age, I guess. Um, <laughs> but we didn't know that in 1977. That's not, that's not the first one, though. Not so much. That's definitely in the Hinted. second one. Yeah. Um, and then the the first movie I have memories seeing. Uh, is actually The Phantom Menace. I have vivid wow. memories of seeing The Phantom Menace when I was wow. five. You were five in 1999. I forgot about that. Yeah. 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 Well. And I can remember that's... going, coming into the theater and thinking it was the greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, that's reasonable. Yeah. I think, sure. I think many people had that feeling and then uh, much later realized, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, then you watch it later and <laughs> what you know, have I it's done fun. myself. Uh, I, so I will, uh, mine is actually a little different than yours. The first movie that I remember seeing in the theater uh, was a re-release of a movie that had come out earlier. It was a movie called uh, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. <laughs> <laughs> now my re-release is probably in like 1985, because um, I was born in 79, born at the end of 79, so I would have been about five years old. And I definitely, yeah. it's one of the first ones I remember because we came in late. And because uh, I was trying to think, did I see Jedi in the theater? I may have, but this was certainly not Jedi because the memory I have is that mm-hmm. we, were, we came a little late and it was Darth Vader getting onto the transport ship and where the ship is completely white and, and Darth Vader's all black and mm-hmm. remembering the, the screen just getting completely dark. And I went to see it with my grandmother. She stepped in front of me and completely blacked out the screen. So I remember thinking like, I can't see anything. And then the, when she moved away, the, the screen was filled with Darth Vader. So that was my reveal was that I didn't see him come through the door. I just oh, saw. Oh, and the Carillion Corvette. We are talking yeah. about a new hope. Yeah, we're oh, talking about a new hope. I didn't hope. realize they released it yeah. in 1985. That's, that's they re-released crazy. it several times. This is pre, pre-VHS. They would re-release mm-hmm. movies like every couple years. Like it Yeah, was, I guess, I mean, they're, I guess they still show old movies in theaters like all the time. Yeah. Uh, so, and and, and they did even more. Uh, like when it was VHS, like yeah. yeah. So I probably saw it. Oh, you would have seen Special Edition. So Special Edition came out. Like I would have seen the Special yeah, Edition. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Because um, I was thinking, when would they re-release it when you were a kid? It may have been it was so before. Re- it was right before Phantom Menace came out. Yeah, they yeah. Special before. editions. They yeah. um uh they would have they re-released each movie before the next movie came out. So it may have been that I was seeing this like. A couple months before Jedi, because they would mm-hmm. release it in, I guess it'd be 82, 83, yeah. And I would have been three or four. So, I mean, it's really just a sense memory. It's really just that. I remember being in the theater, yeah, seeing 
this human form block out the screen and then all of a sudden reveal there was Darth Vader right there. So I didn't That's see him blast through the door. I just saw him there and it was scary. Yeah, I don't have um, too, memory, too many memories of actually watching the movie because I was going to say it's either it was either Phantom Menace or that Disney movie Dinosaur. Yeah. I really oh, remember. The, but I just looked it forgotten. up and it came out in 2000. Uh, yeah, so that, I was like, oh, so it probably would have been Phantom Menace. Yeah. Although Phantom Menace came out at the 90. end of the year. Yeah. Right? Could have been close, I guess. Yeah. Just one of those um, two. Or did it come out in May? Who cares? Uh, the uh, <laughs> the other the thing that I remember the first I definitely have strong recollections of seeing um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and um, both the second and third Back to the Future movies first mm-hmm. run in the theater, which would have okay, been so nine. Say so when you said '85, I was gonna. I was my guess was Back to the Future. Yeah, I don't remember but, seeing Back to the Future in the theater, but I definitely saw the second two in the theater, and that I would have been nine years old. So the, the, those are ones where I have full memories of seeing all like that entire movie. Yeah, I, I have full memory of seeing those entire movies in the theater. So that's like, I'm sure I saw many movies before that, but those are ones where I I can remember the experience right. of going. In. Anyway, so we got a lot to talk about. Um, so we'll just get into it. So so I'm Jimmy. And I'm Tyler. And this is <laughs> Robbing the Master. So here's the situation. Last time, by last time, a long time ago, which is still one of our most listened to episodes. I'm very surprised by this. Not because it's not a quality episode, but we've had some extreme quality episodes, which actually have a point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> haven't been listened to as much as the, the we did a we did a show with Jimmy and Jay a year ago, um, almost exactly a, a year almost ago, almost exactly a year ago, where it was the best of the 2010s. So the best mm-hmm. movies of the last 10 years. And ironically, there was a couple that didn't make it in. Like, I don't think Parasite was on your list. I had none not of, seen Parasite. None of the 2019 releases were on. Yeah. The only, I didn't put any, I had seen a couple, but I did not put any of them on the list. And if we went back now, I would add one to three 2019 movies. What would they be? What would uh, you add? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. That wasn't uh, on the list? I thought that was on the list. It was like, I might have put it at night. I was on my 11 to 20, yeah. I think. Yeah, um, but I wasn't gonna put it in the top ten yet, just because of recency bias. Yeah, um, Parasite and probably Little Women. I, I I could see all three of those. Okay, sneaking in, but it would yeah. be. I think Parasite might make it into my Parasite will probably make it into my top ten. Jojo Rabbit might make it into my top ten. I know we 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 that's, have difference of opinions. It's a doozy of a take. <laughs> I would have to look at my top ten again. I really love Jojo. With Knives Out, Knives Out's like a Knives Out is great. That might make it in the top ten. That would, I would that would probably make it yeah. in the top ten. That that one's just a fun movie. Like that. Oh, I, it's great. Does that take the Scott Pilgrim spot, or do you keep both of them in? Ooh, Scott Pilgrim has held the test of time. I'd have to look Scott back at that list. So good. See. Scott Pilgrim is a perfect movie. I, I would say yeah. that I've, Knives Out is two, also perfect in that sense. Yeah, you've. Uh, it's an updating, just like this list we're about to do. Yeah, like it's it's ever updating, and really depends on what day you're you're talking and what movie you've seen most recently. So. Yeah. So we are going to go through. Yeah, I even shuffled my list around a little today. 
Um, oh yeah, we we're going to do the top ten movies of the nineteen eighties, but we're going to mm-hmm. do it in such a way that we have both made lists. How long is your list? What's your total? Mine is up to eighty two. Okay, mine's at seventy six. Uh, <laughs> so we're not going to show you the whole list. Well, we'll we'll like post the whole. We'll list, post but, them. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're what we're going to do real quickly. Because I, I really Real quickly when I mean quickly for the first bit as quick as we can do uh, the top ten I'm really proud of but the top twenty are movies that I'd like to talk about and the top yeah, thirty I totally are really agree that way too so what, what, what the conceit is we're gonna do it this way we're going to very quickly like I will list numbers thirty through twenty one. We could talk a little bit about that, and then you list your thirty through twenty-one, and then we'll do the same with twenty through eleven, and then we'll go movie by movie of our top ten. So, with the yeah. idea that we're not going to talk oodles about these, they're just movies. Just to that get it out there, because yeah. we are proud of these, and I don't know about you, uh, we've been talking about doing this list for a while. Uh, this podcast, I've been most of my quarantine has been <laughs> watching eighties movies. Yeah, rewatching a bunch like from my list to get like fresh notes and fresh eyes on and watching a bunch of movies I haven't seen because mm-hmm. uh, there are just an infinite number of movies you could watch. Well, and to be uh, clear, so. just not that it really matters, but just to put a little perspective on it, you were born in 1995? I was born in 1994. 94, okay. So you, mm-hmm. all of these were like VHS experiences for you. Yeah, okay. and that's why I think this is, it's a fun and interesting decade to do of pot of movies First, because our ages are different where, uh, you know, obviously you grew up like immediately with these yeah. movies coming out. This is and these I'll, movies are what you experienced from. So anything that came out from 95 to 2005 is the way right. I experienced these movies. The first 10 years of my well, life. Well, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's just most of these movies for both of us, I think, were movies you first watched as a child. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Like a lot of a lot of the movies you saw at like four and were just part of your life, and yep. you could barely remember the first time you saw them. The vast majority and I mean, some of them. I don't know when I saw it for the first time. Right. Yeah. Right. And then some of them are, are different. And the other thing I love, I was most excited to do an 80s podcast uh, about movies from the 80s, is that the 80s is an interesting time in movies because it's sort of, there's no real, like, auteurs uh, in the 80s as much. There's I mean, a there couple, are, but they're but doing weird stuff. Like, they're doing weird is stuff. doing very interesting movies for the 80s. He has a great decade, though. Uh, he does, but it's five not a Scorsese the decade. They're all interesting. Yeah. They're very interesting. And they're, they're, a lot of them are interesting for how much they step out of his normal thing. Right. Well, because the 70s was like the peak sort of this like high brow art cinema. These movies like The Godfather and all those movies like that that came out and where, you know these big and then the 80s moved into blockbusters and like those are the dominant forces and when i was trying to find movies in the 80s to watch i was looking for these movies that you know i liked in the 2010s just you find smaller movies or indie movies or like quieter non-blockbuster more character driven movies yeah. and was, they were they're out there they're yeah. just not as well, popular and we and we haven't gotten to like the 90s and the 2000s yet with Tarantino and Fincher and yeah. all these people. Yeah, indie movies Anderson, really Wes come yeah. back into it. Like, there's art house movies in the 70s, which kind of define it. And the beginnings yeah. of the blockbuster, but the blockbuster reigns in the 80s. And For sure. you get this weird, this really kind of the flourishing of blockbusters and that you get blockbusters that are really quality movies. And once you yeah. get to the 90s, you occasionally get that, but they, you get more movies like it Armageddon less less. where they're just like, who cares? Right. We're just, we know this is going to make a bunch of money yeah. whether the script is good or not. We'll just throw a yeah. bunch of stars in it and it'll just do what it needs to. Yeah. And I mean, Sex, Lies, and Videotape come out in oh, 1989. Yeah. Yeah, and that's 89. like the real 
beginning of the indie movie yep. movement uh, Soderberg. for Soderbergh. Yeah. So real quick, do you want to do, do you have any criteria for your list and how you made the list? Yeah. Uh, my criteria was, it was, I mean, it leans heavily towards personal preference. This mm-hmm. is a, my favorite movies of the eighties, less than the best movies of the eighties. But I do think those two things, uh, for most of these movies, I put up a pretty strong argument that they're the best. Uh, case in point, I, I often tout the movie The Burbs as one of my favorite movies of all time. It is not in my top ten. Oh, really? Um, no, it's not. Okay. Because there, there are about, it's in the top twenty, but it's right. not in the top ten. Okay, yeah, because I know that is one of your favorites. But yeah, uh, it really is. But I also have realized very uh, both you and Rachel have watched it in the past a couple months and both had the the appropriate response to it with it. It's fine. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's an acquired taste. It's the keen lime pie of movies. Like yeah. once you get the taste for it, you love it. But hey, it, we have a acquired taste. I know there are movies in my top ten that you don't like. So this will, oh, be. awesome. Yeah, I I, I haven't uh, mine. Uh, well, we'll get to it. Yeah. So my criteria is is largely movies that I love, but it is movies that I will go to bat for. Yeah. And I I think that that's where the burbs kind of falls into. I will go to bat for the burbs, but I know that it's not for everybody especially because the list is for a podcast you really do have to pick up movies that you can go to bat for i mean that yeah. you can like talk about and defend and be like actually and yeah. so for me it's sort of the same combination of what's my just my favorite what do i think is the best i'm going to factor in in some way um i think there's some aspect especially when it's the 80s when a lot of these movies have already been talked about and like people know that they are good or they are loved. Uh, I think there's some aspect for me of making like making this like the canon, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, saying like these are the 10 to 82 movies that are like define the 80s in specific ways. Yeah. And trying to I mean, I I factor that in when I'm making this list and I'm going to podcast about it. I don't think it affects my like, I don't know how much it differentiates between my favorite and stuff. I'm not moving something up that I don't like just because it's famous, but yeah. It's definitely a factor in what I'm doing. It's also hard to make a say objectively, these are the best of all time. Of course. And that's I mean, I think that you can make arguments that one should I think what I would say probably with both of our lists, we were we're making the argument that the top ten at the very least everyone should consider. If you mm-hmm. haven't seen these, we we think they're movies that you should really watch. Yeah. Um and movies that are uh, will give you a real positive experience. Pos- or they will give you some experience. Yes, they, they're they're well, they're worth. Even if you don't like them, they are they're enriching to see. Yeah, it's. Art. I also I wanted to steer away from blockbusters as much as I could in the top ten, but it's impossible with the eighties because the there are so uh, many. It's it's difficult in the eighties <laughs> versus other decades because there are so many fantastic movies that also were just. Popular. Yeah, I mean I. Yeah, I mean, I, you try as best you can to stick away from blockbusters, I guess. But in some of these movies, they're like that we'll get to. I don't know how you can not say this is one of the you know yeah. best or your favorite. Yep. So anyway, so to start real quick, uh, number thirty, Terms of Endearment. Number twenty nine, Lost in America. Number twenty eight, The Big Chill. Number twenty seven, Lethal Weapon two. <laughs> number twenty six, Rocky three. Oh, number <laughs> Rocky number three. Tw- Wait, Rocky three. That's the one with yeah. Mr. T. Okay. Yeah, the one okay. with Mr. T. Yeah, I mean it's the best Rocky. I just want to make clear. Yeah, that, that, the that one is, where they go to L.A. and Apollo yeah. trains them in the Clubber beach. Lang. It's yeah, incredible. Oh, so cool. movie's so good. <laughs> that's your number. That's your number. What twenty? Twenty six. Okay. It only goes up from here. Uh, yeah, no, that's fantastic. I'm surprised number- that's that's in my top five. So I'm surprised. <laughs> 
<laughs> if we're doing number of times I've seen it, Rocky Three is for sure in the top five. I've yeah, seen that and, movie. Uh, and Thunderlips is that what Hulk Hogan is called in that movie? Yeah, that's Thunderlips. <laughs> that's a great movie. That's a movie where they're like, we're just gonna make a fun one. Just... It's so they're so clearly on steroids. Their bodies <laughs> and muscles when they're running in slow motion are oh, yeah. so ridiculous. Yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> number twenty-five is Witness. Mm. Number twenty-four is Rain Man. Yeah, yeah. Number 23 is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh, yes. Number 22 is Hoosiers. Yeah. And number 21 is E.T. Okay. Oh. Oh. Yeah, lower. Yeah, lower um, for E.T. There, uh, there's at least three movies in there that I have not seen. I have was not it the first seen, three I said? It was the... I haven't seen Terms of Endearment. I haven't seen The Big Chill. And I've seen Lost in America, but Ooh. only once. Yeah. And I did not like it. Oh. I, so I need to see it again because I, like like I, I like Albert Brooks. I like Albert Brooks, but I didn't at the time. <laughs> and I, okay. and also, I didn't like him as much at the time. And also, when I saw it, people ramped it up like it was the funniest movie ever. And it's not. Oh, it's and definitely so, not the funniest movie ever. Yeah, no. it was, I, I think that it was one of those situations where the people that, I, that encouraged me to watch it had really overshot how good it was. Probably like I did with The Burbs for people. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I was expecting it to be just like a not. It's a real dry humor, and it's, Lost in it's America one of those, is, is Albert Brooks and Julie Haggerty taking like a road trip. Yeah, and, like, Julie Haggerty's the the best known from Airplane. She's yeah, a which airplane. Uh, yeah. airplane barely cut out of my top thirty. That's oh, cool. it's not in your top thirty. I moved it down to thirty one at the last yeah. second. It just lost to, out to Rocky three. <laughs> it lost out. It definitely lost Rocky three. It was. I'd rather just wanted to give some love to terms of endearment. Uh, yeah. as will be a theme. I'm a fan of James L. Brooks and Albert James Brooks. Brooks. Yeah. Well, and and also, uh, Lost in America, as with many of Albert Brooks's movies, are basically a series of the of the worst possible thing happening to this person. It's great. Uh, it's it's a if you don't like movies like that, you won't like that movie. Yeah, <laughs> but, I, but if you I, like, uh, I only kind of like movies like that where just bad things keep happening no matter what. What's I the mean, worst if, thing that can happen? If bad right things now? that happen and it's funny uh, and they're considered, I think it's good. Yeah, so. I'll have to give it another shot. That's 1980 too, so that's like a. It's early. Yeah, yeah. 1980 a uh, lot is really heavily populated my list. Yeah, I got a lot of 89s, so we we I have dovetail well. Yeah, Driving Miss Daisy. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. That's an '89 <laughs> movie. That won Best Picture that year. Best Picture winner. Uh, yeah. Um, and I, I don't know how well that that movie's aged. Let's. Uh, uh, yeah, it might be well, just as well. It aged well because the Oscars gave uh, Best Picture to Driving Miss Daisy to Green Book. Yeah. Like two <laughs> years ago. Daisy so, too. Driving so Miss clearly, Daisy for the some people, yeah, clearly yeah. for some people, it's aged well. Yeah. Okay, my 30 through 21 are uh, a little movie called Clue, which we've talked about quite a bit. I, yep. I love that movie. It's just a fun, fun movie. Uh, 29 is a, is a John Carpenter movie called The Thing, which is fan-freaking-tastic. It's, uh, it's got f- wonderful 80s like, practical effects that hold up in, that, in their quaintness. Like they're, It's used well. Sometimes they show you a little too much, but it's still creepy enough that it's good. It's like a David Cronenberg movie where like, you know it's not real, but it's still gross enough that you're like, ugh. Uh, and it works not just on the effects. Like, it's a well-made movie. You could They could have not used any of the gross stuff, and it still would have been It great. was one of the ones I wanted to watch before the pod. But oh, it's, I highly recommend it. I have not seen it yet. So. Yeah, it's really, really good. Be aware, though, that they made a, a basically a prequel to it about five years ago, and it's just called The Thing. So make sure you get That's The funny. Thing from, I think it's I think I, yeah. I think yeah. I, yeah. Uh, 28 for me is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, sure. It's 
excellent, uh, the final Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. Uh, number 27 for me is Beetlejuice, Tim Burton's movie. <laughs> Just a great movie that doesn't make any sense. And that's what I, I, I love that movie because it's so fully realized and so does not care. Like it, it has the confidence. It's like Prince how Prince just convinces you he's attractive when he's not like he, but he just like exudes this I mean, attractiveness. So ladies is are convin- like, All right. is, is convincing me. Yeah. Well, he, he is sure about Prince, it. And so I think Prince is so naturally. Yeah. It's not yeah. much convincing. You're just like, you look at him and you're like, I mean, okay. It's like a beautiful he, deer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Bambi. Uh, and Beetlejuice has this confidence about it where it's not asking permission to make this movie. It's just like, yeah, we're going to make the really weird movie that makes no I mean, it makes complete sense, but it's so off the wall. It's I miss that Tim Burton. So that's, how you feel about Prince is how I feel about Harrison Ford and Witness. That's a I don't know how that comparison matches up. Okay, number twenty six. Uh, both attractive. <laughs> the, yeah, they are. Harrison Ford is attractive in everything. Yeah. Uh, uh, number twenty. Did you do which number was Witness for you? Twenty five. Witness is a fantastic Just movie. Slid. That's, Slid right above Rocky Three. Yeah, it's uh, uh, as it should be. Like those movies, really, they're <laughs> neck and neck. Uh, <laughs> Witness is it's hurt by the fact that it has a synthesized score, which at the time they were it like, is, no one will t- know, but no. now you can hear it. It's so it's orchestral. I don't know but about all other people my age, but I'm pretty sure other people my age. I love a good synth, man. I love a good synth too. But of all the up. of all the movies to have a synthesized score, a movie about the Amish, four on, o'clock man. time for milking. Yeah. Oh, it's, oh, it's a great movie, and it's got uh, Danny Glover's in that as a bad yeah. guy, as a henchman. Anyway, the movie's uh, really good. Yeah, it's really good. Twenty six is The Little Mermaid. Uh, just a fantastic movie. The the Renaissance, regaining the Renaissance of Disney movies, like an actual movie. Twenty five is Goonies, uh, a movie which I still can't figure out when it's appropriate to show my kids to. Uh, <laughs> show it to my kids. Uh, number twenty four is the movie Tron. That's an, a movie that I would put really high, but I can't really defend uh, everything about it. it. It's so, it's wonderfully dorky. In a, in sense. such a pure way. Oh yeah, and the score, the soundtrack to that is so good. So good. the second one, the so Legacy, was, has a oh, great Daft Punk yeah. soundtrack too. Yeah, yeah. The, and and very different, but in a perfect way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Twenty three is a movie called The Blues Brothers from nineteen eighty. John Landis. Uh, it's just a great, great comedy. I mean, oh, just yeah. a really well made movie in a way that it shouldn't have been. Like for them to have made a movie based on an SNL sketch, but it's so fully realized. It's got great music in it. My first experience of the Blues Brothers was the Drake and Josh episode where they do the Blues Brothers. Of course. Yeah. It's I think classic. that was everybody's first exposure to the Blues Brothers. <laughs> Shout outs to millennials. <laughs> uh, number 22 for me is another Tim Burton movie. Uh, uh, the better of the Tim Burton movies, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Again, a movie that oh, wow. that uh, really doesn't, like, it's. I can't believe that a major studio put this movie out. It's so bonkers, but I just love it. I love a movie that has confidence to say, I don't really care what you're talking about. Number 21 for me is Labyrinth by Jim Henson. Okay. Uh, just a, uh, again, a fantastic movie. It's And the artistry in that movie, like even, it's got its flaws narratively, um, but it, it's going for it all the way. And the practical effects, I love 80s practical effects because they, it's the zenith of that artwork uh, before CG really took over, because CG is lazy in a lot of places where they, th- it just doesn't have any weight. And I would much rather have like a a, a, a rubber guy, a guy in a rubber yeah. monster suit uh, that's really given us all than a. It's why a Alien holds up so well. Oh yeah, a- Alien would be in my top ten if it didn't come out in 1979. Yeah, well, it's the 70s. We'll do yeah, that. At, exactly. We'll do that in four years. It's so it's almost an 80s movie. So that's my 21. is Labyrinth. David nice. Bowie. David Bowie is prime. Prime Bowie. I've uh, not seen a couple of those, but that's a that's a classic list of, of 80s movies for sure. Yeah. 
Um, I, now I know we can vamp on every one of our picks. I mean, yeah, sorry. 2011 is going to get fun. Yeah. And I didn't realize that was a. <laughs> All right, go for it. Number 20. All right. So 20 through uh, 11. Number 20 is Tootsie. Uh, it's still hilarious. I love the theme song to Tootsie that they play <laughs> like halfway through and then at the beginning, go Tootsie, go. <laughs> My sister Marie started, like, has watched a couple 80s movies recently. Um, like one of the ones, St. Elmo's Fire, as I told yep. her to watch it because she's graduating college. And she was like, I cannot handle the 80s sax, <laughs> the 80s saxophone and cheesy, like, 80s so sound. Much, I was like, it's great. So much sax. That's why we yeah. love the 80s. <laughs> Yeah, saxophone, saxophone. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and it was everywhere. It was in pop music. It was everything. Like they were just like, yeah, yeah saxophone it's in. Just uh, in uh, uh, <laughs> it's in a Spike Lee movie. We'll talk about later. Like, uh, there's a very prominent saxophone in that too. Like, it's really. It's going that for makes it. more sense though because it's it's more jazz sax than just yeah. Like they're doing jazz pop yeah. sax. Yeah. <laughs> Elevator sax. Yeah. Rob yeah. Lowe's going for. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Number nineteen is Parenthood. So wait, what uh, was twenty? It was Saint Elmo's Fire. Twenty's Tootsie. Okay, Tootsie. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. We just switched to St. Elmo's Fire and that threw me off. What, is there saxophone in Tootsie? Of course there is. It's from the 1990s. It's just cheesy 80s movie. Yeah, music. yeah, that's yeah true. I, that's true. I would assume okay. so. Yeah. So 19 is uh, what? Number 19 is Parenthood. Oh, that's a, a movie one. that I've Ron seen Howard. a bunch of times and I love it. Yeah, uh, really and it makes me cry basically every time. Um, I tr- the show TV show was fine. I watched a little bit of it. It goes on for a while. But the, the movie really, if you like the TV show and you haven't seen the movie, please go watch the movie. It's It's amazing. Steve Martin is... A true delight of a human being and everything he does. He really is. It's a kind of a, it's a it's an emotional know. movie though. Like yeah, I love that's uh, not in a bad way, but there's a lot of anxiety in that movie. Yeah, I love anxiety, uh, especially familial anxiety, mm-hmm. which Parenthood has a lot of, and I love uh, emotions, which Parenthood has got a lot of. So that's fair enough. That's a it's a classic and a great cast. Deep, yeah. Oh, cast really great cast in that. Yeah. A young uh, uh, young Keanu Reeves. Young Henry, young River, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. What? Yeah, who yeah. was known by like Rain Phoenix by then or something like that. He had a yeah, name. River and Rain. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number eighteen is The Breakfast Club, which has not aged well, but is a is a it is a classic and a standard and still has enough good stuff in it. That yeah, I, we uh, were trying to talk. We talked. We had a brief conversation. We talked about, about it. Point. Like yeah. well, what? What John Hughes movie has aged well? Ferris I think Bueller's Ferris Bueller might be the only the one best. that you could yeah. watch it now and be like, yeah, that movie. You could show there's Ferris Bueller to kids and not feel guilty. Where like Molly Ringwald has come out in interviews like in the past couple of years and been like, should I show 16 Candles to my daughter? Yeah. Like, I don't think so. It's a horrible example. And a lot of, I mean, Breakfast Club, she's obviously treated uh, multiple times really poorly um, slash assaulted. Uh, and yeah. I mean, there's like sexual assault in most of John Hughes movies, or the 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 joking of implication. It. Yeah, the, yeah. Whether yeah, it actually happens about or just it. like the the sake. Yeah, it's a yeah. The humor in the '80s is tough. A lot of the time, yeah. a lot of especially if it's a male humor movie, um, like the aforementioned Airplane, is tough sometimes. Yep. And, yep, um, yep. But Breakfast Club still 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 holds up on a lot of other uh, and just teen angst. It holds up um, as a as a big fan of Teen Angst. Speaking of Teen Angst, number seventeen is Ordinary People. Oh yeah, Robert uh, Redford. Yeah, which is the uh, uh, I like to call this nineteen eighties Perks being a wallflower. Very similar <laughs> vibes. Uh, in the in the in the long line of of angsty youth dealing with problems. Uh, Ordinary People is great. Number sixteen is Midnight Run, which is one of the funniest movies of all time. Absolutely. 
Yeah, Minute Run's incredible. Uh, number 15, this is where we're really starting to hit the peak here. Number 15 is The Princess Bride. Oh, yeah. Which is just an all-time great movie. Uh, even as someone like myself who often makes fun of movies made for younger people, I think The Princess Bride is made for everyone. and it's I would not have thought that, that would be on your list. Yeah, it's hard not to be. It's that good. Uh, number 14, uh, switching directions, is The Verdict. Uh, starring an older Paul Newman. Who is that? Sidney um, Lumet. Yes, yeah, one of the all-time directors, Sidney Lumet. Uh, I just watched the verdict for the first time recently. It is like stupendous. It is really good. I love a good uh, lawyer movie mm-hmm. uh, uh, or any movie that involves a lot of dialogue, uh, as you may have remembered from my mm-hmm. 2010s list. And verdict's really good. Paul Newman, one of the best actors of all time, and he's giving a great late career performance there mm-hmm. um number 13 is moonstruck yeah forget about it snap out of it that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> snap out of it. forget about it you know that popular yeah, line from moonstruck. just uh, italians <laughs> italians <laughs> moonstruck is an insane movie uh like it's so weird at points and nick cage is just he accidentally really going makes a good it. movie every four years yeah, well, that it's pretty close to uh, raising Arizona, so he's he's he has a good run there. Yeah, but um, I think he's got four sh- years on either side of those two that have just it's close yeah. stuff. Oh, for sure, yeah. But Cher, Cher and Moonstruck is great. It's a great uh, romantic movie, uh, romantic comedy. Forget about ish. it. <laughs> Danny, is Danny Moonstruck. Aiello if you like uh, Cher or romance or Italians, yeah, 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 he's the, the, isn't he? Yeah, Danny Aiello is another movie that that features an Italian prominently in the eighties. Yeah, we'll yeah. see it. We'll see you later. Uh, yeah. Number twelve is Dead Poets Society. Mm-hmm. Carpe diem, baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, that movie. I mean, yeah. There's like, I would love to have a long discussion about it. I saw you, you rate it a little lower. Uh, I think there are interesting things to talk about, especially as you were a teacher for a bit mm-hmm. um, and a lot of English. But I think a lot of the Every Robin Williams scene in that is pretty, like, yeah, in, pretty great to watch. It's, it's just so entertaining, uh, even at the points where the non-Robin Williams scenes sometimes aren't. But all of his speeches, even if they might not be the best teaching theory, uh, is like just awesome movie making. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's where I land on Dead Poet Society. That's also Peter Weir, I think, who did Peter um, Weir. What who a did, great who run! Did the Witness or er, Witness? Uh, Witness uh, Mosquito Coast? Yeah. Or no? Yep. Yeah. And uh, Truman Show. Year of Living Dangerously. Yep. Uh, Truman Show, I think his last movie was Truman um, Show. Master and Commander. He was a, he's an Australian yeah. guy. He has another one, I think, with Truman Show. Or maybe it's Dead Poets. He's got, a, bu- he's got a bunch beyond those, but those are just the notable ones that I can remember. Yeah. Yeah. Got a director that we uh, forget about, but had a great run. Forget mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. Number 11. Uh, <laughs> as, tough as, cut. Cher as Cher would say. Forget about it. As Cher would say. Number 11 is a tough cut. Uh, maybe the funniest movie of all time. I think it is the funniest movie of all time. Number 11 is Ghostbusters. Oh, my goodness. That's your 11. I know. Well, well. I like but there's not a whole lot of crossover in our in our list. Top 10. Yeah. In our, in our, yeah and even in our top 30, which is nice. Purposefully. So, I think a little bit. And also, just the two are our tastes. But yeah. Ghostbusters... I mean, like all 
humor from before the year 2017 mm-hmm. hasn't aged well at a couple of scenes. It's aged I think. better than a lot of 80s movies. But it has aged better than a lot of 80s movies. Mm-hmm. And like, I've seen it a hundred times and it's still funny. Like, I think it is the funniest movie of all time. For like, yeah, in a movie that's like pure comedy. Yeah, I, I love Christmas. <laughs> Yeah. It's, it's it's great. We, we might talk about it later. We might talk about it later. Uh, okay, that was your eleven. Yeah. Okay. So my I have to start with twenty one because I actually I added wrong. Uh, so my twenty one is the burbs. aren't you just looking at a I'm list? I'm looking with at numbers? a list, but I moved something. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I do. You moved up Rocky three. I did move up Rocky three, but we aren't going to hear about it for another little bit. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't have. There's a couple in there that I didn't. I don't have Breakfast Club in my top seventy five. I don't have um, uh, Dead Poets Society in my top seventy-five. I, Breakfast Ooh, Club is that's yeah. Bre- Breakfast Club is too it, it's too uh, formulaic for me. Like to say, and it, at the end, it says like, "Oh, we got to do." Everyone has to change who they I are. I can't wait till one of your movies stuff. is formulaic. This is going to be great. <laughs> oh, they're totally too formulaic. But that, from Get out from of here. a John Hughes standpoint, like the everyone's like yeah. it's just like high school. But at the end, everyone wins by becoming different than who they are. Uh, particularly the Ali Sheedy character is just really. Uh, what they, the whole moral sure. for that character? Yeah, she, yeah, become pretty and fine. Yeah, guy. yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I think Get Dead Poet Society has some really great parts to it. It's just so schmaltzy for me, and it's one of those ones that's always put out. Like people are like, "Today we're gonna watch a movie." Like, yay! And then Dead Poet Society. It's like, oh, okay. Here we go. When's the last time you've watched Dead Poet Society? Uh, I mean, probably twenty years ago. I need to watch. Can it you read? 20 years I would love for you to rewatch it now. I mean yeah. after 20 years ago in college. I mean teaching? I've seen it. No, yeah. I've seen you it. You haven't watched it since college? No. No. I've seen it probably 10 times because people kept showing it to us. But uh, like as an adult I just wonder I would love your your take it's on fine. Like, his, te- his teaching. It's, I, it might not be Dead in my Post Society is an all-time classic. It's fine. It's a it's a fun <laughs> movie. <laughs> the people out there will agree with me. All right, so uh Top 21 was The Burbs. Burbs is a great movie. Not everybody oh, liked it. My captain. Weird. Um Number 20 is uh, another movie that, that uh, Jimmy definitely hadn't seen and probably would hate. It's a movie called My Neighbor Totoro. It's uh, <laughs> Hayao Miyazaki. Uh, it's a it's Japanese anime, uh, and it's beautiful. Yeah. And and it's you would like it if you watched it. You just need to watch it. One of the all-time most acclaimed directors. Yeah, like, yeah. And this sure. is, uh, it's just, and it's a movie where uh, not there's not really much conflict and not really much happens but it's so compelling and it's very it's uh contemplative and therapeutic like it's just a it's a good calming movie to put on and it's just beautiful um and uh good overall so uh number 19 is the aforementioned raising arizona uh forget about it as, uh, as nick cage would say uh just a a wonderful i really wanted to there was a, i was thinking there'd be more corn butter this movies but it's just blood simple and raising arizona in right, eighties, uh, and I love comedy yeah, right. movie. If we, when we do our nineties show, if and when we do the nineties show, it's going to be deep, deep in Cohen. It's going to be really hard, yeah, to either pick one Cohen or just like or not just go overwhelming the in the Coens. Yeah, yeah I mean that's be... the thing about this decade is like uh, all of our fav- most of our favorite directors don't have much going on. Yeah, that's true. They're all tours. So. Yeah, as you said. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
So Raising Arizona is just a it's a perfect movie. It's just a great great movie, and it's probably I, Nick Cage's best performance. Like he, he is he is doesn't have any of his weird affectations, and he's just nailing. He's so finely he's tuned great. in a way that he's never finely tuned. It makes you wish. Well, I guess it maybe it doesn't make you wish, but it just makes you wish he like he could fit it in another Coen's Brothers movie. I'd yeah, love to yeah. uh, to see him. Do yeah, because he he gets the the vibe of it so well, and it really for sure. Every other Nick Cage movie seems to work in spite of Nick Cage, and this one works because of him. He cares because of him. Movie. Because of him and my girl Holly Hunter. Oh, she's so ha! I'll burn. I just saw that movie for the first time in a movie theater. Uh, oh not, wow! Like six to eight months ago. Like for the first time you saw it, or for the first time for the first time theater? ever. Yeah. Oh, you the, your very first viewing was in a movie theater. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It was awesome. What a treat. That's a great yeah, movie. It was so fun. Uh, number 18, uh, another Joe Dante movie, Joe Dante, who directed The Burbs, uh, a, a brilliant movie called Gremlins. Uh, it holds up real well. Like, it, it's, I would say, go back, it seems like a joke of a movie, but it's like critiquing so many things. Like, you can read a whole lot into this movie. And it's, there's a couple scenes where it gets super cartoony, um, but most <laughs> of the time it's pretty ca- well calculated. And even better is, not even better, but uh, it th- it has a sequel, Gremlins Two: The New Batch, which is making fun of Gremlins in a way that is so like it's meta and it's made by the exact same people. Uh, it's making fun of a sequel. It's making fun of the idea of making a sequel on this movie. Like it's really, it's it's like a parody of Gremlins, but made by the same people. All right. Um, well, Gremlins Two is responsible for Rick and Morty. I get it now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, people uh, and a fantastic jokes. a fantastic sketch. Uh, one of the best key and feel sketches is the Gremlins two pitch. <laughs> <laughs> they, they talk about everything's in Gremlins two. Uh, number seventeen for me is a documentary called "Stop Making Sense." It's a concert yes. film, concert film of uh, talking or uh, yeah, talking heads, and uh, it's just it's a wonderful movie. And it again just captivating. Uh, talking heads are a great band, and it's just it's really well done. It's made by uh, uh, Jonathan Demi, Jonathan Demi, yeah, who did Silence yeah. of the Lambs. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, so watch that. Stop movie. making sense is so good. Oh, it's re- it's great. Uh, yeah. Number sixteen to me. I got a lot of kids movies on this. It's one of my favorite. Oh, I know. Eighties kids movies I love because eighties kids movies are always not appropriate for kids. And this is one of the best not appropriate for kids movies made by Disney. It's called Return to Oz. It stars Feruza Balk, who is later known for being in The Craft, um, and she's like a little kid in this. And it's got Jim Henson doing all these different like mupp- like puppets and stuff. But it's so it follows the books of Wizard of Oz. So it's not a sequel to the movie. It's a sequel to the books. But it works within the pretense of being a sequel to the movie. But it's not a it's not a musical. It's very like grimy '80s. Uh, it's directed by Walter Murch, who is a sound guy who did the sound for um, most of uh, uh, Francis Ford Coppola stuff. Like he did all the he won an Oscar for the conversation because he did all the sound in that. Oh. Um, he, I mean, so it's like really that. like good pedigree and it's well done and it's super creepy. Like there's one of the main villains in it is a witch who can take off her head and like switch it with. Is she wicked? Hands. She's not wicked. She's just a witch who can take off her head. Uh, <laughs> and there's a scene where she has to Dorothy has to sneak through this hall of heads and get this key. But the heads are all like sleeping and then they all wake up and start like shouting at her. And it's terrifying. This is a Disney movie. It's a Disney movie. It's for it's, kids. Is it live action? It's live action, and it should be rated R. Like it's it's terrifying, uh, but it's wonderful. It shouldn't be rated R, but it's just really. What a, it, it should be like a PG thirteen. It's like this. This and, sums up your taste. Temple though. of Doom. Yeah, yeah, I love it's it. Really, that like you describing. I have no idea what we're talking about, but that you describing like a Disney movie for kids that is also scary and should be rated R. Yep. 
really sums up especially live, your live 80s action. taste return to it's on, it's on prime yeah. right now watch it and you're probably not gonna like it but it's it's, it's uh, not on disney plus it's on disney plus as well it's on both uh, number 15 for me is uh, uh, we briefly mentioned the, the Peter Weir, Weir film, which is the follow up to Witness, Mosquito Coast. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, I love Mosquito Coast because it's the it, I think Harrison Ford is a fantastic actor who is always playing Harrison Ford, except for in this movie. Mm-hmm. This is like the one movie where he because he was nominated for an Oscar for Witness, which in which he's playing Harrison Ford. And in this one, he's like, I'm going to really go for it and get that Oscar. And he's still I feel like he's almost more playing here from what we know about Harrison Ford's real life uh, crankiness. Yes, but he's not playing Harrison Ford, the movie star. Harrison Ford, the movie star is is he's playing Harrison grumpy. Ford, the regular guy. Yeah, maybe <laughs> a he might crazy be person. He's kind of well, the villain yeah. in this movie. Like he's yeah, it's a really I just saw Makito's. I just saw it for the first time. I did the homework. We both gave each other one movie to watch like yeah. a year ago, and I did yeah. mine. And I said Mosquito so. Coast. Yeah, you said Mosquito Coast, and it, I said uh, a movie that will come up later. Yeah, that I texted you about. So I, it's not it's not available on anything, and I wasn't going to buy it. Uh, okay. The uh, I, uh, you know what I did? I bought Mosquito Coast for you. Well, so. you're welcome because it's a great movie. My number fourteen movie is Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan. Uh, it's just a great. <laughs> It's just a great movie. It's just, I mean, it's really, it's the, it's the perfect, it, you don't need to have seen any Star Trek for this movie to be great, but if you have, then it's great. Um, it's a perfectly realized sequel in that it's way better than the first one. Um, you don't, again, you don't have to watch any other Star Trek movie and it's great. Uh, and Spock as a character is at his zenith in this. It's just everything about Star Trek that's great is perfect in this movie. And it's just a great 80s sci-fi movie. So that's my number 14. Uh, number 13 <laughs> for me is Midnight Run. Probably one of the yes. funniest comedies ever made. Yeah. So there's a crossover. It's Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin, uh, directed by Martin Brest, who did uh, uh, Beverly Hills Cop before this. And after this, he did Geely and Meet Joe Black. So he had he was Geely. terrible at, at some other movies. But <laughs> this movie is just so funny. And every line, and it's great. It, De Niro, it's the funny, like, it's De Niro's first straight-up comedy, and he is so yeah. funny in this. And in a way that he's never been since then. Like, Midnight Run is where I learned how to swear properly. Oh, the swearing in, in Midnight Run is probably, it's probably the best use of the F word. Oh, for sure. In for Every time it's comedic, and every time it's hilarious. Yeah, uh, the difference the difference between watching Midnight Run on cable and watching it the, like, and unedited yeah. is so funny too. It like, is. It, it, it still holds up either way. You don't quite sure, need it, but it, it's so much better. Uh, yeah. And it, it it's also the classic uh, one punch knockout movie. There are so many times where somebody gets punched, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> knocked out, <laughs> like five times in this movie. It's so and good. and Midnight Run like invented a genre of like buddy like buddy yeah. cop. I oh, mean absolutely. that and Lethal Weapon, I guess. But like, really, that that they just made. Um, like the nice guys uh, a couple years ago, Shane Black, the guy mm-hmm. who did Lethal Weapon, mm-hmm. um, buddy cop movie, and it holds up like that. That if you do it right, that genre yeah. is is good forever. I haven't uh, seen the nice guys. I've heard it was good. But or like buddy guy road trip. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, nice guys is just like Lethal Weapon or yeah. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. So if you like that, it's great. Nice. Uh, number twelve for me is a movie in keeping with my uh, quirkiness. It is a movie by Terry Gilliam called Brazil which is fantastic. And uh, it's one of the best, I think Terry Gilliam's best movie is probably 12 Monkeys um, because it's just a great movie that's from the 90s. Uh, and it, but it's, it's less Terry Gilliam. Terry Gilliam is super weird and, uh, and uh, kind of lo-fi 
stuff. Like he did Time Bandits before this, which is also great. But I think Brazil really hits it. Brazil is his um, like 1984 type movie, like Big Brother type movie, and it it's mm-hmm. it's really eerie, but in a really weird kind of way. He has an aesthetic which is just like almost like kids in the neighborhood putting on a show, uh, like a little Wes Andersony, but real dirty and gross. Um, and it's just, it's a, it's a great movie. So Brazil, when I was, uh, looking, trying to look up as many, uh, people's lists on the, on the internet and people's consensus and what most people think is like their best movie. Brazil was coming up at all of those lists. Yeah. As like, it's, as have a, you seen it? I have not. You should see it. It's, it's real good, but it's, it's okay. very much, I mean, it's a, it's a Terry Gilliam, like full on. I can't. Yeah. I sort of looked at it. I couldn't quite tell it was on the list. I mean, uh, to hopefully watch before, but yeah, you know, so it's, I mean, it has a very specific specific aesthetic and you get it right away uh but then around that there's a really compelling story about freedom and uh, oppression i mean it's it would be it's like 1984 it's braveheart? it would uh, it would yeah it's like braveheart freedom! <laughs> uh, and then my number 11 is my hard my hard my hard one from out of the top 10 is die hard i think wow die hard is is the best action movie ever oh made. yeah well, it we should both, be. It should be. I my think top both 10. of our 11s will be talked about, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Die Hard. Die Hard on another day could be in my top five, but I feel like. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel like everything else I wanted represented in my top ten, and at one point it was definitely in my I, top ten. It's the same thing how I felt about Ghostbusters. Yeah. Uh, just like I want to talk about something else. Die so. Hard is it's just a perfect action movie, like, and it's it it pushes plausibility just to the degree of believability. Like, there's a reason why everything happens. There's a reason why he does not wear shoes and. The perfect That's villain. Uh, it's so great. Yeah. yeah, it's so great. All right. Uh, let's go your number 10. So now we're going to actually talk about them, even though we've kind of been. So we're full on. Full <laughs> I was going to say, we, we agreed to, to move quickly through that. So <laughs> that was uh, hey, you quick. know. Yeah, we, we're yeah, okay. Tyler's, we love movies. All right. I want to start off my list with a heater. I'm going to announce my presence on this podcast with authority. My number 10 is Bull Durham, baby. Oh, another movie that's not in my top 75. No, I know. Uh, look, this movie's tagline is, it's about sex and sport. What else is there? Yeah. This movie's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's I love this good. movie so much. It's the baseball so funny. stuff is really good in this movie. The baseball stuff is great. His, Crash Davis's inner monologue, like when he's at bat going with the pitcher, like is like some of the best sports stuff in a movie ever. Like it just gets it. Um, the minor league stuff, uh, like the road trips, all of the, the camaraderie in the team, the joking around, the, the, the stakes of, of making it to the show. I mean, he gives the speech about, you know, you know, the difference between batting 250 and 300 is it's one dinger. It's like 25 hits. It's just a couple, one dinger a week. Um, I mean, on the other hand, some of the baseball stuff is real goofy. Uh, the first game. They say that Nuke Lelouch strikes out 18 batters and walks 18 batters, <laughs> which is absurd, but it is, I, funny I for the movie. I don't understand Susan Sarandon's character in that movie or what she adds to the plot. She believes in the Church of Baseball. Yeah, She's tried so all major I think religions. That, that everything, I, I yeah, I, and I don't mean to just dump on your thing. I think that that's why I've always struggled with this. I'm, I'm more of a Field of Dreams guy because there tends to be, because they're both... Uh, Kevin Costner movies. That, Formulaic. That can, oh, sure. No, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. What other movie do you build of space? It's about ghosts, baseball ghosts, and timing, traveling just, in time to find James Earl Jones. Uh, 
uh, Bull Durham is just a little grimier. Yeah. Uh, it's a little more, it's more adult for sure. Absolutely. Um, the baseball parts of Bill Durham, I think, are as as great of baseball that there is anywhere. Yeah, um, and, the other and parts. I guess the difference is I love the uh, relationship slash uh, sex part. So you're saying should I give? Can I give Kevin Costner speech in a podcast? <laughs> I believe in the soul. Sure, go for it. <laughs> I don't, I'm not going to say it on this podcast though. <laughs> Look, Kevin Costner gives a speech. Where he said, you know. Oh man, long the the dialogue in this movie is like all time good dialogue. It's great. Kevin Costner gives multiple speeches. Tim Robbins is on coke this entire movie. I have no <laughs> idea what he's going for. He, watching he's that way the pitch, whole eighties. The up until watching him pitch compared to when they show clips like brief clips of other people pitching yeah. is really funny. Or even Kevin Costner pitching in the perfect or the perfect game. What's it called? Love for the love, love of the game. For the love of the game. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Costner like, is a great he's a great baseball. player. Yeah. I mean, like he's like a genuinely looks really good playing baseball. Yeah. And uh, and Tim Robbins is not. <laughs> Tim Robbins is not. Uh, his pitching is funny, but like all of the stuff about hold the ball like an egg, don't think, just throw. Yeah, the, all the baseball um, stuff is perfect. The the funny love stuff is great too. Krat, look at one point, Susan Sarandon ties ties Nuke up and then reads Walt Whitman to me. Susan Sarandon, tie me up and read Walt Whitman to me. Come on. Yeah. I'd rather watch ghosts coming out of a cornfield. I would rather <laughs> Susan Sarandon tie me up. <laughs> I think movie... that, that is a good uh, differentiation between the two of us, though, is that I, I mean, like, seriously, like that you like the authentic kind of griminess of, uh, yes, of uh, Bull Durham. And that's kind of where you lean on it. And, and I really love the fantasy kind of dreamlike quality of Field of Dreams. That Field of Dreams is yeah. such a romantic movie, not about sexy things, but about nostalgia and viewing things as bigger deals than they actually are in real life. And has this kind of weird sci-fi quality to it. Um, whereas like Boulder was just like hard reality of like it's slap shot. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, this is what life is like for a baseball player. Yeah, and like uh, Crash gives a little monologue about what it's like being in the show and like the, the stadiums, like churches, and yep. like it's it's so good. Uh, you know, he says you got to play this game with fear and arrogance. Yeah, like that every it's line a lot of great is great lines. Yeah, I I, yeah, I mean I'll, I love. I'll also go major league over Bull Durham. Oh gosh, <laughs> look, strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. There are some ground balls. It's more democratic. <laughs> Like, yeah, I could a, just Voldurm, I could sit, is a really good movie. sit here and read you the script of Voldur. Uh, Apparently that's what you're doing, so it works out well. Yeah. Uh so shout out to Ron Shelton, a great uh director of director Ron Shelton made yeah. White Man Can't Jump and Tin Cup. White Man Can't Jump, which uh, I'll put above I'd put that above Voldurham. Great Boulderham, uh one of maybe my all time one of my all time favorite sports movies. Yeah, uh, it's a really good I do need to watch it. That's another one I probably haven't seen in twenty years. So I, I should If you haven't movie. watched it as like an adult you gotta try. Yeah, I probably should. I mean, you're still probably not gonna like the the just the sexual energy in the movie I just as don't much understand as I do. I guess the, what but. that brings to the plot. It's not. I don't mind sexual part it bring? components to movies, but I don't know. Seems like a movie about baseball. It, and then it all brings it brings breathe like breathe through your eyelids to the plot. I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> it bring it's uh, Kevin Costner and Susan Sarandon dancing. Well, and Stand her character. I I do. I will put it like this: that so almost famous is another movie that that comes to play because she's basically a baseball groupie in the same way that almost fam- and the almost famous groupies uh i really feel bad for uh they're band-aids yeah <laughs> that i so I, I feel sad for those characters the whole movie and i feel sad for susan sarandon in this character in this movie 
Even though I, I mean they're both by choice, but it's still. It seems I like mean, it. like there's a there's a def, there's a level of of sadness and like empathy for all of the people in the movie who are yeah. whose life is minor league baseball. Yeah, that's but true. the point is that like they've sort of chosen this as their life and their passion, and it's and it's good. She 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 believes in the church of baseball. Yeah. I mean, like uh, she reads poetry. She's like you know, she's like a little bit of that like uh, male who writes a woman character, uh, where she's like. Love sports and also is yeah. sexy and yeah. also loves poetry. Yeah, and, and and lives to make your life better. Right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it was the eighties. You really, know? you're selling it. <laughs> it's great. All right. She plays. She plays music uh, to set the mood. She plays La Vie and Rose, and then mm-hmm. the other song, the song. And from then Inception. they go. They go into dreams. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Non Jane regret. <laughs> Edith Piaf. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, I do need to watch that one again. But it's the the great parts about that movie are great. Uh, I just lose interest in the other parts. It's almost they like do, I mean, and and the meeting on the mound. What the hell's going on out here? Well, Nick's scared because his eyelids are jammed and his old man's here. We need a live. Was it a live rooster? We need a live rooster to take the curse off Jose's glove, and nobody seems to know what to get Millie or Jimmy for their wedding present. Is that about right? That's right. We're yeah. dealing with a lot of. Sh- well, uh, candlesticks always make a nice gift, and uh, maybe you can find out where she's registered, maybe a place setting, or maybe a silverware pattern. Okay, let's get to it. Yeah, that's great. That that's really yeah. great. <laughs> uh, the uh, it's a it's a great movie use of uh, Robert Wall, who's the he's the, the oh the the, the guy for, pitching coach. Yeah, the guy the from Batman, photographer from Batman. Yeah, he's a press guy from Batman. He's not a photographer. Yeah, yeah. She, oh, Vicky whatever. Vale's the photographer. Oh, that's right. She's, he's like the writer. Yeah. yeah. We would be talking about that earlier, but I switched that out for. for yeah, it was close yeah. to for me because <laughs> I had too many Tim Burton high up. <laughs> uh, okay, my my number ten uh, is a movie that Jimmy will probably uh, feel similar to how I felt about Bill Durham. So hooray! Uh, that's why we're here. This is a movie I actually watched it again this morning with my kids for they'd never seen it before. Wow! Uh, a movie called Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Robert Zemeckis, yeah. yeah, there you go. That's how that, I feel. That should be in there. Yeah. Sure, I wanted, I wanted to rewatch it because I, I haven't seen it in a while, but I, I didn't have the it, chance. So. It's great. And again, I just watched <laughs> it three hours ago, and it's so it's fantastic. The and the it's from if they made that movie when there was any computer animation available at all, it would be terrible. Um, even Space Jam has a little more computer animation than this. So Space Jam is definitely the logical kind of spiritual sequel to this movie it happened like the resurgence of looney tunes happens because of this movie and then they mm-hmm. monetize looney tunes and have space jam uh like five years later uh it is just this weird era where both disney and warner brothers were doing bad enough that they were willing to just throw all of their properties in one box and give it to robert zemeckis who is just about to start work on back to the future two and three and for him to um just make this awesome movie that has this fantastic plot that's based in reality of uh, the reason why there's no mass transit in Los Angeles because it was bought up by companies to destroy it. the tire companies and the gas companies bought up all the mass transit and dismantled it because they were lo- to make people drive and that's a reality and that's kind of the plot behind this movie like it's very much like Chinatown with a real plot but then you throw cartoons into it and just um, Chinatown with a real plot yeah I mean no it's You're saying- it's it's the a Chinatown oh, like plot. real yeah. life. It's not that wasn't the slam on Chinatown. It's like it like, has a Chinatown like <laughs> plot. Yeah, yeah. It's so a noir. It, yeah. It's like a crime noir movie. Yeah, like, and it's not a spoof like it. China. Yeah, you no, could it's you a could real take one. The, yeah. the cartoon element out of this, 
which is a major part of the plot. But you can make this into a real movie without the cartoons, with the basic plot of what's sure. going on. Uh, because well, I mean, that really it, happened. Yeah. I see working for a tune has rubbed off on you. I wasn't working for a tune. I was working for Ake Maroon. Yes. We talked to Mr. Maroon. He told us the rabbit became quite agitated when you showed him the pictures. The rabbit said one way or another, he and his wife are going to be happy. Is that true? Well, do I look like a stenographer? Shut your yap, Eddie. The man's in charge. That's all right, Lieutenant. From the smell of him, I'd say it was the booze talking. Um... So, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And Bob Hoskins is just amazing. I can't believe he didn't get an Oscar for this. He didn't even get a nomination. It's just, everything about it's incredible. It's just so well, so well done. I'm not here to say that this is not a good movie. I just haven't, I haven't seen it since I was young. Yeah. And I saw it, you know, it's like a movie you watch young and I just did not get like what noir really was yet. Yeah. It's probably yeah. one of the first ones I like, well, actually watched. And it's one of those ones I as, think. As like a 10 year old boy, I wasn't quite sure if I was supposed to be attracted to the uh, <laughs> to cartoon Jessica girl. Brown. Yeah. It's just a confused, confused uh, prepubescent boy watching this movie. Um, but like from what I remember, it's great. And I just haven't, you know, revisited it. Yeah. It holds up really well. And it's especially watching it as an adult. I think there's a, it's really more made for adults than kids. Um, so that, I think so. but not yeah. in a way that's inappropriate. Like, I, did your kids like it? They really did. And watching it with them, I wasn't like, Ugh. they wasn't. There was a couple times where I just had to be like, oh yeah, they're right. just uh, playing patty cake. Like they're cheating on each other, and didn't really go into the details <laughs> of what was insinuated there, uh, because in reality, the joke is they're literally just playing patty cake. Uh, so, uh, kind of bad conversation averted for right now. But um yeah. yeah it it's really well made the music by alan silvestri is fantastic and he's doing cartoon music and noir music and uh like cinematic score music all at the same time it's pretty it's pretty impressive from that same point so that's my number 10 my number nine is a little movie from good old 1985 back to the future oh by the aforementioned robert zemeckis directed by robert zemeckis yeah uh, starring the great Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd. And, Christopher Lloyd uh, in both of those movies. It did blow my kids' minds. That's today. right. I was like, do you know who that is? And uh, my, yeah, yeah, my son yeah. was like, is that Emmett Brown? I like he didn't say Doc <laughs> Brown. He's like, is that Emmett Brown? That, uh, Doc. Dr. That Emmett movie's Brown. real heavy. <laughs> heavy. There's that word again. <laughs> is there something wrong with the Earth's gravitational pull in the future? Doc? Don't say a word. I don't want to know your name. I don't want to know anything about you. Listen, Doc. Doc, don't tell me anything. Doc, Quiet. Quiet. I'm going to read your thoughts. Let's see now. You come here from a great distance? Yeah, exactly. Don't tell me. Uh, you want me to buy a subscription to the Saturday Evening Post? No. Not a word. Not a word. Not a word now. Quiet. Uh, donations. You want me to make a donation to the Coast Guard Youth Auxiliary? Doc, I'm from the future. I came here in a time machine that you invented. Now, I need your help to get back to the year 1985. My God. Do you know what this means? It means that this damn thing doesn't work at all. Doc, you got to help me. You were the only one who knows how your time machine works. Back to the Future is great. I just rewatched this not too long ago. Uh, like, it's just unassailable. I don't know how 
people wouldn't like it. It's one of the all-time like best blockbusters ever. Uh, Christopher Lloyd is just is so good in this movie. He's so funny. I think he really holds it together. Um, Michael J. Fox is great as sort of the everyday uh, everyday white guy. That most of these movies will have um, pretty pretty white. A lot of the eighties movies. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. Tough and male, white and white, white and, male. and male. Yeah, as are as are we. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's tough. But Back to the Future, it's great. The and like the plot, no matter how many times you rewatch it, like totally holds up. Like the beginning doesn't drag because you're always catching new details. It's so it's such a perfectly tight two hours. My you know, and my youth pastor is is in this movie. So it's like, <laughs> uh, how can yeah, you not love I'm it? I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, contractually obligated uh it's i love this movie uh, so good i love a good quotable movie as uh you as anyone knows who uh but the the one that the libyans is a wild plot point oh yeah it's like him going the libyans run for coming with like a rocket launcher yeah uh, you know that's like the one part of that movie that doesn't like there's so much about the movie shouldn't work and they just go up to the line of it not working and then they pull back And the one thing, um, the Libyans, which were a true kind of terrorist, there was a lot of terrorist right. organizations coming out of Libya at that point. Um, so it was it was relevant. But the one thing that doesn't that's very eighties is when they show the Libyans talking. It's clearly just brown actors who are almost certainly not Libyan, just going like yeah, there's no language being spoken. And no effort we just accept to, it. Yeah, yeah, none at all. There's nothing. Not that they need to go bend their backs over to be culturally sensitive for these characters going to be on screen for two minutes, but you could put any energy into it. Yeah, and similar similar to Ferris Bueller, like I uh, just like the big uh, song the in that movie. I yeah. totally thought for the first like two years of my life that Michael J. Fox was singing "Johnny Be Good." <laughs> Took yeah, me, once you I don't know, that, you know. Yeah. And then you realize just, his voice would never sound anything like that. No, like it's such a different not. different voice than his. Yeah, it's absurd. But that scene's still great. Like all the music in this movie's great. Yeah. Um Power of Love, Huey Lewis oh, in the news. So like, good. And then going back to nineteen fifty five and it yeah. being Mr. another Sandman. one of the best scores of all time. Again, Alan Silvestri. Like the score to this movie is fantastic. The score to this movie is fantastic. And again, yeah. Alan Silvestri, the, the oh, it's one, yeah, an all-time one of the all-time best. Yeah, scores he's done most of the um, scores for yeah. Zemeckis. Yeah, so so good. Uh, yeah, we'll, so, yeah, we can, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll hear. A and little I, bit more and about Crispin that. Glover oh. is such a goofy presence that I love too. So fun. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, yeah, the, he's one where he. This is the only like big movie that he made because he's such a weirdo that he didn't want to make. He, but he is, yeah. his comedic talent is so good. The closest he gets, if you've ever seen, and I don't know why you would would. I'm not necessarily recommending this, but I think it's uh, it's Friday the 13th Part 4, I think. It's oh, three wow. or four. And he's in it, and he it's right. He made it right before this movie. And it really is like George McFly. I, I can't recommend any of the Friday the 13th movies because they're all stupid. But his just seeing him in it is really funny because he plays very just he's such an oddball and there's one point where he yeah, dances he really is. <laughs> super good and he's like where's the corkscrew like he's just super weird <laughs> Dad, where's, where's that uh that corkscrew that fancy corkscrew for the wine bottle ted hey ted ted hey ted where the hell's the corkscrew 
<laughs> if you want a little bit more George McFly, just just Google Crispin Glover Friday the 13th. I think it's part four, and you can watch him be super there you go. weird. Yeah. Or watch uh, the 2002 uh, Young Jimmy Favorite, the movie Like Mike. Oh, yeah. He's in Like Mike? Yeah, he's like the bad foster or like foster house. He's the bad guy in who the... Tries to, he tries to make money off of, of uh, Lil Bow Wow. Lil Bow Wow. In the yeah. NBA. Just now Bow Wow. Just, just now, just about. no, no longer Lil, but at the time was still Lil. Yeah, he, uh, Chris McGlover is also the bad guy in the first Charlie's Angels movie. Oh, and he has no lines in it because he's like, I'm not going to say anything. Like the character's written <laughs> with lines. He's like, nope, because <laughs> he's a weirdo, weirdo. Chris McGlover. <laughs> weirdo. Uh, all right, so uh, my number nine is uh, it's a similar movie, kind of the same tone. Uh, it's uh, by uh, a aforementioned director. Uh, it's called The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, wow. a, a fun romp. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this is just uh, a you know, casual one whimsy. you can watch in the morning with there's your children. There's some time travel in here, alternate realities. It's basically, basically the same movie. A DeLorean. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of relationships with parents and trying to figure out what that is. Huey Lewis makes a cameo. Oh, yeah. Huey Lewis is all through this movie. Uh, no, this is Martin Scorsese. Uh, it's uh, based on a novel by Kazantzakis, uh, who, and it's just this, it's this great, we mentioned this briefly, I think last week too, uh, but it's a, it's this great kind of rumination. Uh, it, it was protested at the time for being uh, heresy by people who hadn't seen it. And it definitely pushes some envelope, like it, it pushes into some uncomfortable things, but nothing, all of it loves Jesus. Like that's the interesting thing. Yeah. And, and all of this is very faithful. And it's a rumination on, why don't what if we really kind of hyper focused on the humanity of Christ? Not to the yeah. not to the to dismiss the divinity of Christ, but let's lean into what it really means that that Christ was human. And yeah. being human is being full of doubt and full of uncertainty. And that's what it's the best role I think that Willem Dafoe has ever played. Um yeah. and it's just yeah. there's so much richness to it. And Again, I think we said this last week, but the first hour of it is just a pretty straight telling of the gospel. And it isn't until the crucifixion that things kind of take a take a, a detour. Literally a, off a the detour. Rails. Yeah. Not even off the rails. Yeah. It just it goes in a place that you're not expecting. All of a sudden things and it and it proposes this kind of thought experiment of what the temptation of Christ would look like. Who are you? I'm the angel who guards you. Your father is the God of mercy, not punishment. He saw you and said, aren't you his guardian angel? Well, go down and save him. He suffered enough. Remember when he told Abraham to sacrifice his son? Abraham was just about to kill the boy with his knife when God stopped him. So if he saved Abraham's son, don't you think he'd want to save his own? He's tested you and he's happy with you. He doesn't want your blood. He said, let him die in a dream, but let him live his life. All the pain, that was real. Yes, but there won't be any more. You've done enough. Uh, And then Mm -hmm. it concludes in a very orthodox way so i mean it's it it really just kind of wrestles with the idea of what it would be like to be jesus it's really well done scorsese the doc the commentary to it is fantastic i I don't know if you can still get it it was on the criterion collection dvd 
which is out of print. Uh, but if you can find it, it's listen, yeah. Listen they'll, to the they'll put it back on the Criterion Channel eventually. I would assume yeah. they they rotate the Scorsese movies through. Well, but. and if you can get the commentary, it's really good. Just because uh, Scorsese, I mean, just talk straight up about the about the movie. Yeah. And one there's of the another things... uh, Scorsese movie on the Criterion Channel right now that may or may not be mentioned and has a great commentary too. Oh, nice. He uh, yeah. but when he was asked about why why the producers when he was trying to get this made, they said, uh, "Why do you want to make this?" And he said, "Because I want to get to know Jesus better." Which he said after the fact, he's like, that's a stupid Boom. reason to make this movie. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I shouldn't make a movie to learn about Jesus. I should learn about Jesus and then make a movie. Uh, and he tried to make this movie for, I think, 10 years before it got made. Um, and then he finally, I think he self-produced it. But it's, uh, it's, a, really, it's, a, it's a really powerful movie. Um, and so I would highly recommend, check it out. Um, it, will, it will catch you off yeah. guard. Yeah, one of the greatest directors of all time, Scorsese. Yep. Uh, and honestly, one of my, even though he probably thinks I shouldn't, one of my favorite writers of all time, Paul Schrader. So, oh, yeah. Paul Schrader wrote this great wrote, uh, wrote Taxi Driver. If you like Last Temptation of Christ, you, uh, go watch First Reformed, Paul Schrader's movie from a couple of years ago. Which about, I haven't seen. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, I really still, was still waiting for that list. one. Yeah. But, so uh, that's my number nine. Yeah, great. Love that. Uh, my number eight. Uh, Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker! It's Die Hard! <laughs> At all, one of the all-time best quotable movies. Oh, uh, so good. I, invented we... another movie that, like, movies have been copying for 40 years. Yeah. Uh, like, just, they keep on making this movie. It's a and genre it, in for, and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, and has never been as good as it was no. in Die Hard, no. the original. A lot of that's the writing. A lot of that is Bruce Willis being, like, perfect in this this era for this role oh, really? and he's and, so he's humble bruce willis that's the i mean he's still got that swagger yeah. but he is unproven so he doesn't have this hey, this attitude come on over yeah. have a few drinks have a couple laughs no i know what a TV and, dinner and hans gruber uh, the best villain ever one of the yeah top five villain movie villain mr mr guest are you still there yeah i'm still here unless you want to open a front door for me But you have me at a loss. You know my name, but who are you? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Another orphan of a bankrupt culture who thinks he's John Wayne, Rambo, Marshall Dillon. I was always kind of partial to Roy Rogers, actually. I really like those sequined shirts. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? yippee ki motherfucker. That's so. That's Rickman's Alan Rickman. That's his first movie. He's forty years old. He was about to stop acting as a profession because he'd never been in a movie. He'd just done theater work, and he was trying yeah. to break into movies and he couldn't. And then he gets this, and it, it then he becomes one of the best actors. He of the becomes generation. Alan Rickman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, great movie villain. But it's this is this is really beginning. Miracles. <laughs> now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho. Ho. Shoot the oh. glass. There's so many shoot the so glass many quotes from this that I will say out of context, yeah. uh, and and just wait for people to understand them. And most most of the time, people don't. I say shoot the glass probably four times a month, <laughs> and no one ever. When I'm trying to get someone to do something, I'll always end up going shoot the glass, and I, yeah. I don't think I've ever gotten someone to recognize what I was talking about. But it's still if funny to me. Oh, I would totally. I'll say it around move. you next time we are doing something. Yeah. you aren't paying shoot attention. The glass. <laughs> The the very the next time we can hang on a group uh, in 2022. I can't wait for that movie reference. Um, 
<laughs> I mean, I mean, this movie is so perfect. It really it, is. It, I don't know. A lot of these movies, these classics that everyone has seen, like it's hard to really for for Jimmy to on a podcast to to tell you why it's great. But who does the music for this one? Is this Hans Zimmer? It's so good. Know. the The score it integrates so much um, like Christmas themes, which is great. Yeah. By the, yeah, it, best which Christmas is, movie. Yeah, it's totally the one thing movie. we agree on. It's a Christmas yeah. movie, and yeah, and also is. like, why would you argue that it's not? I, I think that that's the biggest <laughs> Just, thing. Yeah, who cares so if great. it is it? I mean, I do. Yeah. But. Are gonna, I'm Agent Johnson. This is Special Agent Johnson. No relation. No relation. <laughs> <laughs> Carl Winslow's in it. That's so great too. Yeah, the guy from Family Matters. Yeah, Carl Winslow. Al. Yeah, Thomas Wilson. Thomas Wilson. Thomas F. Wilson. That's isn't that he's the not in that. Oh, I'm on the wrong. I'm on my Paul Gleason. No, Reginald Vell Johnson. Reginald Vell Johnson. Yeah, Thomas Wilson is is Biff. I have a huge word document of notes. I'm trying to scroll through here <laughs> on all of these movies. So sometimes I do have to uh, put another connection that uh, Art from The Burbs is in this movie. He's in like three movies at this time. The principal from The Breakfast Club is in this movie. Yes, he is. He plays Dwayne T. Johnson. <laughs> okay, Dwayne. Dwayne. <laughs> you want a breath mint? <laughs> Just. Just a lot of just Bruce Willis uh, as sassy cop uh, trying to save everyone is is great. But there's stakes like they run out of bullets. <laughs> they he gets hurt like that. Uh, yeah, he steps on the glass like he's in bare feet the whole time. Yep. And they like actually play. Huey that well. Lewis is in this one too. <laughs> <laughs> Huey Lewis and all of the news. Uh, so yeah, it's diehard. It's it's perfect. My number eleven should have been should have been my top ten. Okay, it's fine. My number eight is uh, another John Landis movie. Uh, this is one that I would put up there for maybe one of the funniest, like just straight up funniest movies of all time. Um, I have other comedies higher in this list, but this is just a pure comedy. Uh, it's a movie, and it's definitely the best movie by the star of this movie. It's Coming to America with Eddie oh. Murphy. Um, it is peak Eddie Murphy, like before he descended into the Nutty Professor madness that defined his 90s. And uh, after... SNL. Well, he had he after SNL, but then he kind of he gets Trading Places, which is fantastic, and much Mm -hmm. later on my list, and then Beverly Hills Cop, which is also really great, but more action oriented. Which was originally made for it was written for Sylvester Stallone, and then they retailored it to him. Boy, that would have sucked. Yeah, it would have been terrible. Both both one and two Beverly Hills Cop. Oh, great! They're so great, and the tone between the two of them is so different because number two is a Tony Scott movie, so it's like he's coming right off of uh, Top Gun, and so it's bananas. Uh, yeah, I love too. Yeah. yeah, Tony Scott's great. Uh, Eddie Murphy in that this this run of Eddie Murphy in the late seventies and the eighties is like the funniest act person ever. Yeah, like he really oh, is. Yeah. And this and again, I would say this is peak peak Eddie Murphy. Uh, it is Apex Mountain. There's great. It's Apex Mountain of Eddie Murphy. There, there are uh, again. They swear really well in this movie. Uh, it was I watched it. It's one of those movies my parents let me watch way too young because um, I watched it when I was a kid. Uh, but they just kind of said, don't say the swear words and then you'll be fine there. I didn't realize until later that there is, I think one white character in this whole movie, maybe, maybe two. And the entire rest of the, of the cast is African-American. And it was just like, in that sense for me as a kid, it was a, it was the only movie that I'd seen like that, but it didn't, it's, it was different, but it didn't stand out because it wasn't talking about the fact like it was a movie that just was right. This is the reality that we're talking about in this world is that we have a kingdom, uh, a rich, almost like Wakanda, like uh, African place of Zamunda uh, 
and that was never colonized and completely controlled by Africans, um, indigenous African people, and that they mm-hmm. go to Queens and they're only, the movie's only interested in these black neighborhoods. And uh, you take Louis Anderson out of this movie, there's really no white people in the whole movie, and he's got like three lines. So, and it was something yeah. that as a kid, again, I was watching this movie at like ten years old, which is way too young to watch wow. this movie. I know that's what, um, that's that's what that's what it was. Way like. to go, parents! Way to go, Ronnie! <laughs> way to go, Paula! <laughs> uh, but, Officer and a gentleman reference. But uh, uh, yeah, it's and it's so funny. There's so many great lines in it. It um, Eddie Murphy is he does multiple characters in this, and every character is a completely different character. The whole sexual chocolate scene where he's <laughs> performing at, the, at this like fundraiser for the community. And he plays this like terrible band and he's, he, he's like slightly fat. And then he plays like five different characters in a barbershop. Can you make my hair look like this? Oh man, what you wanna make your hair look like that for? Well, I like the way you wear your hair. Wear natural, that's good, man. You know, I wish more of the young children today would wear their hair natural like Dr. Martin Luther King did. That's right. You ain't never seen Dr. Martin Luther King with no Mr. Jerry Curl on his head. Ain't that right? Amen. Dr. King ain't come walk around like that. You know, sweet, I met Dr. Martin Luther King once. And you lying. You ain't never met Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah, I met Dr. Martin Luther King in 1962 in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm walking down the street, minding my own business, just walking off, feeling good. I walk around the corner, man woke up, hit me in my chest, right? I fall on the ground, right? And I look up at Dr. Martin Luther King. I said, Dr. King. He said, oops, I thought you were somebody else. Oh, man, you lying. You ain't never met Martin Luther King. Knocked the wind out of me. Yes, he did. No, it didn't. Yes, he did. No, he did not. Hey, boy, why are you so worried about how you look anyway? Like that <laughs> that idea of Martin Luther King just punching someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then walking away. Uh, it also, it, it's, it's a spiritual sequel to Trading Places because there is a point in it where it makes a, a direct reference to Trading Places in a way that's beautiful. Trading Places is a great movie. Um, it's just wonderful. And it yeah. became an influence on so many things. Every Busta Rhymes video is basically based in part off of this movie <laughs> at certain <laughs> points. It's, it's fantastic. Arsenio Hall is great. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's James Earl Jones. Yeah. James Earl Jones. Fantastic. Um, everybody, everybody's great in this movie. It's, it's a, it's again, probably the, pu- from a pure comedy standpoint, I would say it's one of the funniest movies. Well, it's one of the best. Yeah. Eddie Murphy. It doesn't get better than Eddie Murphy. Yeah, it's so good that it makes that it run. disappointing that he hasn't made a movie this good since then. Yeah, uh, yeah. People love Shrek, you know. <laughs> I'll give them that. Uh, uh, a movie, my number seven, a movie that is very similar to Shrek, uh, like all of my movies on the list, of course. Uh, my number seven is When Harry Met Sally. Oh, nice. The the originator, uh, the inventor of the modern rom com. Um, Billy Crystal and Meg Ryan are both great in this movie. I think that's what separates it from earlier rom-coms and a lot of later rom-coms. They're both like real characters and real people that are fleshed out pretty well. They both have flaws. Uh, this movie starts out that they're both pretty annoying because they're both 22 mm-hmm. and just graduated college. And as someone who is very close to that age, most of us are annoying. Um, I think we know everything. So that's why it works well. And then as they age, they fall and they become friends and they're friends and you know, then they fall in love at the end. A great, great Billy Crystal speech. I mean, every rom-com after this is more, is trying to do like yeah. when Harry Met Sally. Just like Die Hard. Because Annie, like it's, it's when just Harry like Met Sally. Like a lot of these movies we're talking people. about. Yeah. Look, Nora Ephron wrote, uh, writer of this movie, uh, did You've Got Mail, Sleep in Seattle, kept on defining the genre. I would say that the, that this is either peak rom-com or Sleepless in Seattle is peak rom-com. Yeah. Which is also Both Nora, Meg Ryan, Nora, Nora Ephron, Ephron yeah. movies. Yep. Yeah. 
Yeah, but when Harry Met Sally, it's so extremely white heteronormative <laughs> romance. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, like the even the the premise of you know can a man and a woman be friends? Yeah. Uh, or will sex ruin it? Uh, is very like just very heteronormative. Super eighties. Uh, as a super eighties, yeah. but as a heterosexual male, like I think that holds up that idea. Like yeah. uh, the truth behind it, well. it, it's not um, it, it, the truth behind it is not gone. It's just the universal it, truth yeah. of it is not. It's not as universal. Yeah, and I love and I yeah. no, it's definitely not universal. No. Uh, but uh, I do love movies that make un- where characters make universal statements as true because they think they're like smart and it's yeah. great. Um. The soundtrack's really good to this movie. Oh, Harry Connick Jr. Kind. Oh, yeah. 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 Carrie Fisher is the friend, is like the and classic, like, friends of main character in, in rom com has pretty much never been as good as Carrie Fisher in this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I need to watch this movie again as an adult because I, I this is another one I probably saw 20 watch years it. ago. So watch it in like September, October because it's a yeah. great fall movie. Like, New York looks so beautiful. In this movie. Um, and they always, even in the times where they play in their 20s, they always seemed like 40-year-olds to me. Yeah. Well, that's like, I also love this because they are. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're like, they they start out 22 and then the, the movie, you know, takes place as their friendship sort of develops. And they're in their 30s when they really become friends. Mm-hmm. Um, another great quotable movie. Like, <laughs> someday you'll be going 15 rounds over who gets the stupid Roy Rogers coffee table. <laughs> uh, they did the great s- split screen in this movie. Um, oh yeah yeah the uh like i'll have what she's having doesn't like the scene itself is a little like doesn't quite hold up but that line is one of the all-time most quoted lines it's so well um, delivered and that's rob reiner's yeah, mother rob reiner's yeah. mother yep yeah um so i mean for a movie that defined its genre forever it's perfect that's this a solid movie, yeah i just haven't seen it in a long time so it's not it's not front of mind yeah yeah and the, and his speech at the end uh, like is it's the best it makes up even like though he kind of treats her poorly and that like you sort of like when you take rom-coms too seriously you're like we need to have better like self-esteems and uh, you know sort of be more confident in ourselves but you know if if Billy Crystal runs up to me at a New Year's Eve and says like, I love, I love it when you get cold, cold when it's 71 degrees, degrees outside I love, I love that it takes you an hour and a half to order a sandwich, sandwich. I, I love that you get a little crinkle above your nose when you're, you're looking at me like I'm like nuts. nuts. I love that after I spend a day with you, I can still smell your perfume on my clothes. And I love that you are the last person I want to talk to before I go to sleep at night. And it's not because I'm lonely. And it's not because it's New Year's Eve. I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Uh, it's great. And, you know, sorry. There's some great, great. It's perfect. Them. Nora yeah, Ephron I love, is a really good writer. She's an all-time great writer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, she writes Sleepless in Seattle, and you've got, you know, like, she keeps it going. And Mixed Nuts. Um, I love I love me some Mixed Nuts. That is not a great movie, but I love that yeah. movie. Heartburn. She's a great, great shot. Oh, tra- uh, I forgot about Heartburn. Heart- Streep yeah. and... and uh, Streep and, and Jack and Nicholson, Nicholson getting yeah. divorced. It's great. That's based off of her, like, her real life. Man. Nora Ephron's one's experiences. So I love a good... Uh, yeah. When Harry Met Sally. Yeah. Uh, I, I need... That's definitely one I need to watch soon. There you go. Okay. My number seven movie is, um, I think, my first sci-fi in the top ten. Yeah. So Ooh. And kind of, no, I got some other sci-fi stuff. But this is a movie, another great synth soundtrack. Uh, this is. Uh, oh, here we go. Yeah. Here we go. This is Ridley Scott's 1982 movie, Blade Runner. Prequel to Blade Runner 2049. Uh, <laughs> I think Blade Runner is just. Um, there's so much about this movie. There's there's a lot of flaws in this movie, which is why they've made 
four different cuts of it, like since its release. Um, and yet the flaws are, uh, they kind of have gotten it. They never, it's just the, kind of the perfect idea that you can never quite get right. Um, but it's still really compelling in every the version, but the, the, any version you can get is still really good. Um, the, um, the, I, the, the set design is incredible. The world building in this is incredible. It's set in, uh, I think 2009, uh, Los Angeles. So clearly it's That's missed funny. the mark. Um, yeah. Cause the second yeah. one's 30 years later. And, um, oh, right. but, uh, it's, the the tone is perfect the 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 lighting is perfect it feels so real for a vision of the future it's one of the first visions of the future that wasn't clean and or filled with aliens or something like it's it's all happens (laughs) on earth we're not in space um and everything is so lived in and gross uh but in such a believable way uh it's um harrison ford playing kind of against type in the sense that he's not this charismatic kind of scoundrel that can just charm his way through everything uh, and he kind of struggles with it. That's the interesting thing is I love Harrison Ford and he doesn't quite get the tone. That's one of the part of the edits have been to try to fix the tone of him because he's right in between Indiana Jones. And um, the, he made this after, I think, in between Raiders and Return of the Jedi. He makes this movie. Uh, and it's right. so tonally different than the other two movies. It raises really compelling questions. It's got um, some really fantastic villains in it. And the villains aren't even really villains. Like they're just kind of, you empathize with them and because there are these androids. The whole premise is that he has to, a Blade Runner is someone who finds these androids that look like humans uh, that have escaped and they, they have a life expectancy of five years. Like it's built into them. So they're going to die regardless, but they are used as slaves in an off-world like mining place. And so they've gotten off and they've gotten back to earth. And so he has to hunt them down and kill them. And um, the one, Rugger Hauer plays the main guy and he tells this speech at the end that is just so compelling and it's the whole premise of it is is like uh, tears in the rain i've seen things you people wouldn't believe attack ships on fire off the shoulder of orion i watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the ten house gate All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Time to die. he sees this beauty in the world that real humans don't and kind of lamenting the loss of his uh, his sentience and his his experience like what is this for kind of like lamenting over soul there's also this really compelling question the whole time over whether Harrison Ford is also an android then you kind of they tease it a little bit um, but they they come around to it it's so depending on the cuts that you get uh, depending on the cut that you get they they either make it more right. or less obvious whether or not he's an android. Um, and even... Yeah, so which cut? I, uh, I would say that the, defin- the, the, the final cut, the director's cut, the one without the voiceover, okay. and that does have the unicorn dream, that's the one I would say is the one to go with. And I, I think have never seen Blade the Runner. Final cut. Oh, 
But you've seen Blade Runner in 2049, I've seen right? Blade Runner 2049. I loved it. Oh, uh, but I did not see Blade Runner. Maybe it's 2019. I think it might be 2019. Because, it, yeah, it's 2049, not 2039. Uh, right. Did you... And you... Sorry, you liked 2049? Loved it. I loved Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you have to see the first one, then. Oh, I know. You should have I, seen them the other way around. I... I, uh, I guess. But... Adrian had not seen it. Yeah, Adrian had not seen it, my wife. And so we I we watched, sat down and watched this. She really liked it. And then she liked 2049 better because it moves a little faster. If Blade Runner 2049 moves faster than Blade Runner? Just, just a little faster. That's yeah, wild. They're, they're tonally, they're tonally like, uh, so Denis Villeneuve does the 2049, who's doing yes. the Dune movie right now. Yes, um, he is. And he, he nails it. So the aesthetic is perfect. It matches up really, really well. Um, but there's a little bit more going on. There's more investigating that happens in Blade Runner. Okay, that's wild because I think of I think of 2049 as purely a mood and like yeah, uh, like I don't really think of I don't really like 2049 for its plot. I like it because it's just a great mood. Uh, there's like at least ambience. four fights slash action scenes that's in true. 2049. Yeah, it does start there's with the one. Uh, there. No, there's two in this one with him fighting uh, Drax. Yeah, but it's 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 real compelling. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's and it's a mood too. I mean, it's a vibe movie. So it mm-hmm. uh, and it's it deal it make raises all these questions about immortality and humanity and and consciousness and uh, and again, kind of I do like a, a movie that at the end has a, where you have a question like oh like there's different ways to interpret kind of major plot points, which I think is pretty great. So right. and uh, an auteur in Ridley Scott, absolutely, and his second oh, movie. I mean, ma- uh after <laughs> after uh after alien alien yeah what I think a, he made, what a he, first two he maybe made a movie before alien that was like an indie that i'm not sure often gets counted but his second big movie right and boy alien yeah. is such a uh, i think that he'd really nailed it with these two then he makes legend yeah. which is not great <laughs> yeah that's my that's number seven blade runner classic i'm into it uh number six uh, i'm gonna go to another auteur that we've already talked about number six is raging bull Oh, uh, from 1980, directed by Martin Scorsese. I forget that that's an 80s movie. I always think of that as a 70s movie. I forget that that was. Yeah, I'm gonna have a nice yeah. little run of 80, uh, 1980 movies, because um, I, I, you know, talked about I love the 70s, and I think movies in 1980 are still. Playing I've got that. I've got two mo- two of the of my top six are from 1980. I think uh, three. Oh no, just two. Yeah, I just have one more. Okay, but anyway. Raging Bull by Martin Scorsese. It is the uh, story of boxer Jake LaMotta, played by Robert De Niro, giving like one of the all-time best acting performances, I think, in a movie. Yeah, uh, De Niro here, and shocking one because of the... he gains like sixty pounds of fat for the yeah. for half of the movie. Like, yeah, he looks like he has the incredible boxing boxer body in the beginning, and then yeah, gains weight over time. Yeah. Uh, and Joe Pesci as the brother in this movie, who is uh, sort of his trainer and just his like conscience, is giving great performance. And it's not, uh, you know, De Niro, Pesci, and Scorsese have made a bunch of movies together. Um, and this might be Pesci's quietest performance until The Irishman, I guess. Oh, yeah. He's uh, so good in The Irishman. I, yeah, he's great. And he's great yeah. in this movie as like the trying to rein De Niro's anger in. Um, this is a tough watch. It's not fun really at all. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't hold up in certain ways, but it didn't hold up in the 19th. Like the brutal stuff now is, was brutal even when it was made. Yeah. I mean yeah. the, the, and the movie, and he's supposed to be like, it's supposed to not hold up. This guy is a, like treats people in his life terribly. Um, he is clearly has like 
problems that he will not deal with and he only deals with by punching things, punching in the ring and punching people in his real life, mm-hmm. his real anger problems. This is a fascinating like character study of this guy who sucks. Um, Scorsese consistently has made like fantastic character studies, just like Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, but instead of Jesus, this is just this uh, boxer uh, from New York. Slightly more punching um, than the Jesus movie. The fight scenes in this movie... <laughs> The fight scenes in this movie are like probably like the best directed things ever. Like like what like some of the best directed set pieces of all time. Uh, I mean, I think the entire movie looks like just looks incredible. It's it's a masterpiece. Um, and while I will not and have not seen this movie as much as say when Harry met Sally, which is a much more pleasant watch and one that I could keep on rewatching, Raging Bull is like just so well made. Uh, I think it tells its story really well. Where you like spend so much time with this guy, you almost feel bad for him, uh, and sort of that he can't deal with his issues uh but also and also just in general a society of men in the 40s and men in the 80s when this is coming out and men still to this day who won't deal with their problems and then take it out in problematic ways and the people in their lives uh this movie does a great job of sort of showing that um and i can't like scorsese has made a, movies that i like more uh but he it's hard to think of how many movies he's made that is better than raging bull yeah it's it's a bummer of a movie, and I ranked it real low in my Scorsese ranking list. Uh, but I need to revisit it. Uh, Heresy. Yeah, I think I put it like not even in the top ten of Scorsese movies. Yeah, he's yeah. only made like twenty movies. Um, but it's it's everything you said is true, and I think that you when you, you realize it's you're not supposed to like this guy, and it's kind of a bummer. Um, but it's a it's this beautiful character study and and just so well made and and uses black and white really well. I need to revisit this one. Yeah, this yeah, and I one. understand like the the concept of making a movie about a person you're not supposed to like. Um, I think is is has had mixed success over the year, and I understand why people don't want to give time to a movie that is like I think Uncut Gems was just like this. Mm-hmm. Where it's clearly a movie that's about a guy that you're not really supposed to like. Yeah. Um, but I find that compelling. And Scorsese did this also with Wolf of Wall Street. Um, where Wolf of Wall Street, you're clearly not supposed to like uh, the main character and all of the characters in that movie for some reason. And this has been happening for years is that uh, mostly white men uh, love this, <laughs> love this guy's love Leo and Wolf of Wall Street and think it's great and think it's fun. It's a fun life. And I think yeah. Raging Bull is different from Wolf of Wall Street in that, like, I mean, the fight scenes aren't like so, so compelling and like interesting to watch and well made. But like this movie is never fun. Uh, no, and like yeah, it is, Wolf of Wall Street is, is bleak, is fun a lot. Wolf of Wall Street's, I, it's so fun. It's, it's uh, a lot. Even though, yeah, even though yeah, you're not supposed to like the guy, to. it's hard not to like him because yeah. he's super charismatic. But it's hard right. to it's even Leo. watch this and, guy in in yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and and for De Niro, who is like a pretty charming guy, as we talked about, like in Midnight Run, when he wants to be, um, and even in a movie like uh, Casino or Goodfellas, like he's very charming, but like he is, it is brutal. To watch him he is uh, like an all-time performance um so this raging bulls just yeah perfect it's perfect 
So that's number six for you? That is number six. Okay. My number six is uh, another movie that's kind of a close to an auteur from the 80s. Uh, but this is the only film uh, is I've seen a handful of his films. I haven't seen most of his films, especially from this era, but this one is, is really great. And it's uh, relevant now in a way that I wasn't ready for when this list was made. Uh, and oh, it's, yeah. it's also, uh, it also, it, it, it has a title that is clear with an ending that is not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my number six movie is Ghostbusters by Ivan Wright. <laughs> <laughs> I totally <laughs> watching you physically get excited for me to mention the movie. Uh, my number six movie is Do the Right Thing by Spike Lee. Um, and, <laughs> uh, it's it's a this is a great movie. Um, it's just so well made. It's uh, really I would say I mean Spike Lee hasn't made a movie this good, even close to this good um, until real recently. Like he's come kind of close, but twenty fifth uh, hour. Oh, twenty fifth hour is okay. Uh, What's your choice? Is it Black Klansman? Because Black Klansman is nowhere near as good Black as Black Klansman's pretty good. I really like Bamboozled if it wasn't for Marlon Wayne's oh, okay, performance yeah. of playing yeah. like SNL like white now. guy. Uh, yeah. There's a bunch of other ones. I mean, he... Uh, Look, Spike Lee is one of the best, like, most accomplished directors of all time. Like, yeah. all of his Malcolm movies X, are super I would say Malcolm stylized. X is, is close to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but you said again, semi-recently. I just took offense yeah. to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, Do the Right Thing is just this... It's a great story with really fantastic characters in it. And some sometimes like hyper, almost fantastical in some of the ways it's presented. Uh, the colors in mm-hmm. this are great. The, the cinematography is wonderful. It's almost like a play uh, yep. because you, I mean, you a, can do this. It's an all-in-one day movie. Yeah, it is. And it's an all-in-one. Except the coda. Yeah, but, yeah, and it's an all-in-one neighborhood kind of movie. And you get mm-hmm. even these amazing characterized actors like Ossie Davis and uh what's his uh ruby d uh who's his real life wife like their connection throughout it samuel jackson is in it uh and wonderful young you get yeah young sam jackson before he's really done much just sam jackson in the credits sammy sammy jackson (laughs) (laughs) i mean uh young giancarlo esposito from breaking bad fame yep uh great young turturro yeah, um, and uh, Danny Aiello playing the aforementioned Italian Danny Aiello, token <laughs> Italian old man. Uh, but it really, it, it's the thing that I like about this movie is that it has confidence to really raise all these questions that it's not really going to clearly answer, especially for white people. And I think that that's probably a oh, better yeah. way to put it. That I think it gives pretty good answers if you are a, a person of color watching this movie. And you're like, yeah. But if you're a white person, you have to wrestle with some stuff that the right thing is not necessarily what you want it to be. And yeah. well, his actions so, at the end, I remember the first time I saw it, I was I was 18. I saw it in college. And I was like, wait a minute. No, no, no. That's not the right thing. <laughs> He's like, oh, here, wow. Mookie's going to do the right thing. And then he does the thing. And it's not the right thing for 18-year-old white Tyler. <laughs> like, no, That's no, no. Really funny. That's not what you would do. Uh, yeah, I've watched this movie a couple of times. I just watched it two days ago. Uh, oh, in preparation nice. for Spike Lee's new movie, Defy Bloods. But so I was looking a lot, a lot about this too. And uh, similar, I guess, to 18-year-old White Tyler, a lot of white critics at this time when it came out, uh, because they were the white uh, critics were the only ones who really had a voice and probably mostly still do, but yep. uh, did not respond well to this movie. Uh, so there was you know, a lot you know of... who did? My main man, Roger Ebert. He was all over this. Four That's stars, true. baby. He loved this movie. Yeah, love Roger. Uh <laughs> 
But a lot of people at this time, this came out, responded to this poorly saying that it promoted violence and like Spike Lee wants to cause a riot and Spike Lee made a movie to get people mad and like uh, burn down to things. And I just can't imagine anybody watching this movie and coming to that takeaway. Yeah. Uh, the beauty of this of this film is that like he's presenting like multiple perspectives. Like it ends the whole movie. It comes down to the picture of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. Um, and then there are two quotes at the end uh, that present sort of these two uh, viewpoints on how to handle oppression and like uh, the black experience in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's frustrating at the time. This we made a joke earlier. This this nineteen eighty nine. This came out the same year that Driving Miss Daisy won Best Picture. Um, <laughs> and Do the Right Thing was not nominated for anything. Do the Right Thing was not nominated. Yeah. Uh, which, looking back, is crazy because this is one of the best uh, and most prophetic films ever made. Yeah. Uh, watching this uh, in the past, any time in the past two weeks, but really, I watched this for the first time a couple of years ago. Watching it at any point in the past since it came out, you could think it was made now. Yeah. That's what is I, yeah. I haven't watched sobering. this movie. I, it's probably been ten years since I watched this movie. So I mean, it's pre Michael Brown. Yeah, I mean, this was I this. Th- a couple of years before Rodney King and the yeah. L.A. riots in '92, and every year since then. I mean, you can point to an example. And the scary thing about this movie is they do use examples from the '80s that like of of black people being murdered by the police uh, yeah. for no reason. Uh, and I so there's a- another thing that I think is really. Uh, and people have overemphasized this. So I don't mean to oh, uh, put this in the general perspective. One of the smart things this movie does is that it has everyone in this movie is smart. There are no yeah. dumb characters. And so there there's racial tension and racism, straight up racism in this movie, but not done yeah. by terrible people. Like the, the racist ideas are told with a sense of rationality um, that is not sympathetic to it, but it's smart because it, it recognizes that some of these racist notions are not just based in hatred. They're based in kind of this false sense of persecution or the false sense of, uh, of what our yeah. need for equality when equality is not what we need right now. Like, well, and there's the, the compilation of it's of people of all different types of ethnicities, uh, saying slurs, to a different group of people. Yeah. Just I mean, like a, goes, like a, like a two minute, just all the characters yeah. staring straight at the camera and just saying racist stuff, which he then copies in the 25th hour, which again, seems yes. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Uh, directors, uh, you know, copy themselves. Yeah. You just have the same style. This movie is one of the most stylish movies of all time. Like yeah. uh, Spike Lee's camera work in this is, is so perfect and is yeah. so well-made. It's a great hangout movie for the first, you know, hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, like just, even though the ending of the movie is really hard to watch and uh, too timely, the the first you know hour hour and a half of this movie is such a fun hangout. It's it's a movie they made with white people like a hundred times, like like a Richard Linklater movie where it's just there's not much plot. You're just sort of hanging out yeah. with a fun group of people for yeah. a while, um, and you know Mookie is sort of in that. Um, I think. Turturro, John Turturro's character in this movie is one of the more interesting parts of the whole movie. Uh, yeah. He's like the bad guy. He's like very racist and says the N word numerous times uh, yeah, uh, yeah. to like calls black people uh, the N word in this movie. And that is a weird, it's always, it's jarring, uh, you know, now to hear that, but 
like he also clearly, you know, at one point, uh, Mook, you know, Spike Lee's character Mookie confronts him and talks about like, look, man, like you love magic. You love Prince. Um, like you love Michael Jordan. Like what's, you know, why, why, why are you going to be like this? And, you know, Tortura says, oh, they're bigger than black. Um, it's very reminiscent of, of a lot of the OJ, OJ Simpson commentary that he yeah. tried to consider himself. And so there's, I mean, there's a ton, a ton of ideas in here that could all be their own podcast uh, yeah. and like uh, these own conversations. And this movie is so good at presenting numerous ideas, uh, numerous points of view um, and presenting them in a way that leaves you considering them and thinking about them, um, but not in a way where it's a movie that's like telling you what the right thing is. Yeah. Um, well, and I think that, that that's one of the things, like how I said, what, the first time I saw this, I thought, no, yeah, there's the right thing. Oh, and he doesn't do it. Like now uh, it, in, in the intervening years and, and kind of coming at it from a very sheltered, privileged white perspective, mm-hmm. there's a way that you're supposed to act. That's the proper decorum. And he doesn't do that. And I thought, why would, that's just bad. No, no, don't do that. You can need to be the, the person who steps in the middle and says, let's all get along. And that's not what happens. And I really have come to understand that absolutely he does the right thing and that absolutely, um, but that's not, I don't come from that perspective because I don't have that experience like that. It, it, it requires empathy out of a white audience to be able to sit with the end of this movie in a way that, um, feels not comfortable is the wrong way, but that, that you can acknowledge that what he did was the right thing. I think that that is so important because again, it, it creates all these characters that are smart in the way that they deal with each other and the way they articulate their ideas. Um, and then creates this very real, but very difficult problem that they have to deal with. And the ending is just as important as anything else, because Mm -hmm. it does show that there is that, that things go beyond this one event uh, but that things yeah. are different now. Well, the so I just watching it recently. The you know when if you haven't watched this movie in a while, you might think that the it ends sort of right at the big nighttime uh, scene. Um, you know to dance around the the spoiler that is probably the pretty right obvious yeah. for people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a coda the next morning where Mookie goes back to Sal's pizzeria to talk to Sal and ask for his money. He's like, hey man, I'm supposed to get paid, you know. And uh, you know, there's no big like speech about what happened it's just sort of like trying to go on their lives and then the movie ends where the the day continues uh uh dj dj daddy lovegood still on the still on the radio mm-hmm. sam jackson um sam jackson like mookie goes back you know walking around the people are still playing in the neighborhood yeah and it's like watching it now knowing everything you know how everything's has continued uh it's very so it's like spike lee yeah. knew then like the day just goes on you will forget um and the the title do the right thing and that idea uh you know what what now has completely aged well that uh, protesting is necessary like kneeling did not Absolutely. work uh making a movie did not work like yeah. uh, nobody listened uh, including me and you for yeah. years yeah and like so and i had very much the attitude which is kind of the kneeling thing is like i understand why you're upset but that's really i don't i don't think that's the wrong way to do it like that was my mm-hmm. thing was not not that the reasons why he did that thing were wrong, but the the thing itself was wrong, which is that argument of like, well, I understand this, but you shouldn't protest in a way that like makes me uncomfortable or threatens the flag or something like right. that. 
I do have to say, as a qualifier, kind of post-qualifier, the treatment of Rosie Perez's character in this movie is, does not hold up well. It is very problematic. So there, there is a very kind of section that you could just take out of this movie. It's a huge male gaze movie. Very, very it's much. Just and Rosie when Perez you, only exists. And you hear behind the making of it how uncomfortable she was with those scenes. It makes it even worse. So, I mean, there's... Yeah. It's the know the that dancing, there's a qualifier in that. Yeah. yeah, the dancing in the beginning is I think is fun. Oh, uh, to fantastic. fight the power. That, that's perfect. Playing, yeah, that yeah, it's a great credit sequence. Uh, yeah. Just Rosebreast dancing to to fight the power. Um, this is the movie that fight the power was made for. The song mm-hmm. came out for mm-hmm. do the right thing. Uh, and they use it like eight times in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's. It's a great, it's a great deep cast of people. Yeah. Uh, Even Radio Rahim, who that guy is in other stuff, but he yeah, is, uh, is in uh, Sister Act. Act. Yeah, that's the big thing people know from. He's I the cop in Sister Act. The Sister Act movies. Yeah. Uh, but he's great. He's great in this radio, and his whole speech about love and hate is actually almost straight lifted out of Night of the Hunter. Um, okay. With uh, Robert Mitchum, which is a great thing because he plays this plays this murderous um, preacher who has love and hate written on his. Uh, on his knuckles and said that whole speech but it's not done in a like hey we no one's seen this like it's it's an homage to it but it's recon- recontextualizing it within this thing which is so important so he has these yeah. two basically rings like these kind of extended rings that say love and hate on his fists and he tells the yes. speech about why those are important and that again the speech is almost completely lifted out of the movie night of the hunter from the 60s but it's it's so good let me tell you the story of right hand left hand it's a tale of good and evil Hey, it was with this hand that Cain iced his brother. Love. These five fingers, they go straight to the soul of man. The right hand, the hand of love. The story of life is this. Static. One hand is always fighting the other hand. And the left hand is kicking much ass. I mean, it looks like the right hand love is finished. But hold on, stop the presses. The right hand's coming back. Yeah, he got the left hand on the ropes now. That's right. Yeah. Ooh, it's a devastating right and hate is dirt. Down. Ooh, ooh, left hand hate KO'd by love. If I love you, I love you. But if I hate you, there it is, love and hate. Yeah, yeah. Rewatching this, like, it's like yeah. And that theme of love and hate is just like the entire movie is yep. like through this dichotomy of like, what should we, what do we have to do? Um, so yeah. yeah. So that's my number six. Whew. Okay. So number five is a movie from 1980, uh, directed by one of the most difficult but best directors of all time, Stanley Kubrick. It is The Shining. This is what, your number five? Yep. Oh, well, let me tell you real quick. My number five is a movie directed by Stanley Kubrick called The Shining. Hey, look at us. <laughs> Saw that overlap coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, The Shining is like the, the, you know, one of the top like three horror movies of all time. Yeah. Like, uh, this is, I'm now in the realm of top five. Like all of my movies are, are five-star movies from a letterbox standpoint. I, I would say this is a flawless movie. Yeah. It's like, a flawless even, movie. even the problems with this movie are important to the movie. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. The Shining, like, 
It's you beautiful. Know, like, and it's it's a weird movie for perfect. as scary as it is. I didn't see it until I was in high school, and I right. watched it when nobody was at the house, and like I was alone all night. Like my oh, parents, were, wow. I, was like, I was like sixteen, so old enough that they could leave me alone. Maybe a little older than that, maybe seventeen or something. But I it, so I watched it by myself, and I had to keep stopping it. And just watching regular wow. TV like every 20 minutes because it's really scaring me. Um, yeah. And it's one he of those said, movies. It's a, it, it's a great movie of just yeah. like tension, just having an entire oh, yeah. movie filled with tension. And that, it's like, beautiful. And there's so many things like one of the things that uh, there's also a documentary called Room 237. Uh, right. That's all about the different kind of conspiratorial like interpretations that... of it. That's really compelling. Uh, but yeah. one of the things it, that they bring up in that movie, but I think is really important from a directorial standpoint, is that uh, Cooper takes the first like 30 minutes of the movie to walk you. They take a tour of this. So uh, Jack Nicholson and his family are going to be caretakers of this um, mountain lodge in the off season. So when it gets snowed in, they just yeah, need someone the there to, like, hotel. To, to make sure that the hotel doesn't get like broken or something like that and to run the boilers and to work at it. through. So they're they're stuck there. And it's as it's the end of the season and he's the boss is walking through. So it takes about half an hour to walk you through the entire layout of the hotel. Literally walk to yeah. the camera. And shows like, you here's uh, this, here's that. Thing. But the interesting thing is that if you try to make sense of it, it doesn't make any sense. So that's one of the things that subtly he's right. disorienting you by telling you, here's how the here's here's the layout of the hotel. But then when you really try to put it together, none of it makes any sense. Where any yeah, of there's the like rooms win- are. windows where there shouldn't, like, yeah. you know, there yeah. actually wouldn't be an outside. But and I mean, that's just like a, a lesser filmmaker. It would seem like that's just poor filmmaking. But Stanley Kubrick is such a crazy, like perfectionist. Uh, Every single yeah. thing in that standpoint was definitely intentional. Well, it's disorienting, or it's just like you know, you film like you have. They don't film the outside shots of the hotel. They don't just go inside the hotel that they're shooting from the outside and film like yeah. necessarily. They have sets and things that they yeah. have to set up. Well, so, and like, the entire hotel itself is a set. And the exteriors right. of it are um, a house, uh, the Ridgeline Hotel in um, in right. Oregon so like, or so, or Washington. Know, like he can only do so much to. I mean, yeah. you know, uh, I think uh, you know I've, that that documentary. I think people are getting a little carried away with those like theories. Oh, about, it gets like, you know, real bonkers it's, it's at the absurd. end. Yeah, yeah. Ser- seriously. But there people. is like it's a movie of great details. Every single like uh, like you know it is a movie about you know building a hotel on on, on indigenous lands and like just white man's entire uh, murder and like erasure. Which again is subtly, subtly in the movie and proposed in that weird documentary. Yeah. Like, yeah, but not, not so subtly. I mean, it's mentioned, it's brought up that yeah. this was brought, like, they, the, yeah. they, it is text. It is not even subtext. Yeah. Like the, yeah. the, the guy who introduces Jack Nicholson says mm-hmm. like, this was built on, you know, Native American lands or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like it is, I mean, it's a real idea. Um, and it's a great horror movie in that like, it doesn't, it makes perfect sense while you're watching it, like, and is spooky and unsettling and disorienting. And then, like, you think about whatever, like, Shining is, like, how they explain Shining. Yeah. I can remember when I was a little boy, my grandmother and I could hold conversations entirely without ever opening our mouths. She called it Shining. And for a long time, I thought it was just the two of us that had to shine to us. Just like you probably thought you was the only one. But there are other folks, though mostly they don't know it or don't believe it. How long have you been able to do it? 
Why don't you want to talk about it? I'm not supposed to. Who says you ain't supposed to? Tony. Who's Tony? Tony is a little boy who loves my mouth. Is Tony the one that tells you things? Yes. How does he tell you things? It's like I go to sleep and he shows me things. But when I wake up, I can't remember everything. Does your mom and dad know about Tony? Yes. Do they know he tells you things? No, Tony told me never to tell him. Has Tony ever told you anything about this place? About the Overlook Hotel? I don't know. So Stanley Kubrick, I mean, just an all-time director uh, then this movie looks perfect like every shot it's beautiful the steady cam the steady cam behind the kid running danny running the bike yeah um is it's perfect. one of the first movies to use the steady cam it was developed for a movie there was they filmed one movie beforehand but the inventor of the steady cam was the camera operator for this uh, right and so it's like one of the first mass movies to get to use the steady cam yeah and i'm just gonna say i love jack nicholson <laughs> oh he's so great as an actor He's and so great. He's so, and it's funny because, you know, I know uh, Stephen King doesn't like this movie too much because it takes away from his book or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't quite. And it's also funny because Jack Nicholson, I think the character is supposed to be. Um, you're supposed to you know, watch like more him of it. You're supposed to like him yeah. more, I think, at the beginning. But like right away, you see Jack Nicholson. You're like, this guy is. This guy's going to kill his family. Up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it's. Yeah. It's just, the, the one thing the about story of the is, book is it's a it's the the story of the book is about alcoholism and, and writer's block abuse and writer's block. Yeah. And how yeah. this loving father who became an alcoholic and, and ended up being abusive to his kid, like physically abusive. Um, right. And then kind of the the penance of that and how that corrupts him. So it is like, yeah. I can understand why Stephen King's upset about it because all of that is lost in this movie where Jack Nicholson from it's the first the shot you see him, you're like, I don't know about this guy. Right. Right. There's no like uh, uh good guy slowly no. turning bad. Cause it's just Jack no. Nicholson uh, who starts out as crazy and then just absolutely loses it. Uh, <laughs> A little slow tonight, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, it is, Mr. Torrance. What will it be? I'm awfully glad you asked me that, Lloyd. Because I just happen to have two 20s and two 10s right here in my wallet. I was afraid they were going to be there next April. So here's what. You slip me a bottle of bourbon, a little glass, and some ice. You can do that, can't you, Lloyd? You're not too busy, are you? <laughs> no, sir. I'm not busy at all. Good man. You set him up and I'll knock him back, Lloyd. One by one. White man's burden, Lloyd, my man. White man's burden. 
the hard part about this movie is that Shelley Duvall gives it a, a great performance that is like perfect for the movie and her she is totally upset the entire movie and the top you watch like the documentary or hear the stories that uh Kubrick really was abusive uh to get her there yeah. like um constantly making her second get like he wanted her to have this weird awkwardness to her that is yeah. almost off-putting but so perfect for the movie and he had he did that by making her do hundreds of takes yeah just until she was uncomfortable yeah. and just making her feel timid like he just broke her in this movie which is just horrible on a flip side though uh jake not jake lloyd jake gyllenhaal J- no not jake gyllenhaal zodiac no, gets broken uh, by jake lloyd, is the, jake lloyd is jake lloyd is the kid from uh um uh, phantom menace i don't and, and uh but the the kid danny i danny. think danny lloyd i think that's his name the kid who is in this movie who plays danny um did not danny know he Torrance? was making yeah who, but no the real actors <laughs> i think his last name is Lloyd. uh he didn't know he was making a, a horror movie because Kubrick was so nice to him and filmed all of his stuff in a way that the kid thought he was just having fun. Like, right. so he never saw anything scary. Like the, and that almost, that's both nice that you're like, Oh, Kubrick is actually human. But then it makes it even worse that he was so terrible to Shelley Duvall that he, he yes. was compassionate enough to never make this kid even realize he was doing anything scary and to get the performance that he does out of that kid. Cause that kid is amazing. And then to just completely destroy uh, right. the psyche of, uh, Oh man. Of Shelley Duvall. Yeah, and the the shot of him of, of Jack Nicholson swinging the axe now the camera swings with the axe. Oh and my comes goodness! Back. Yeah, it's when like, he's, he's I trying can't to break how it. well that works. Yeah, and, and the whole buildup of Scatman Crothers coming to save them. And, oh I mean, yeah, this is a spoiler, but it's it's a movie that's forty years old. But uh, that like as soon as he shows up, Jack and Nicholson just comes out and just hits him with an axe. Like and yeah. it's just like <gasps> oh oh no, they're totally gonna die. Like you're just yeah, ready for some they, kind of showdown because they build it up and then it's like, nothing. right. They really spend time with him because it's taking you like it gives you a, a two minute breather from yeah. the like oh it's so it's of, so well paced i wouldn't take anything out of this movie but it's really interesting that it 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 puts that much into building this like showdown that's going to happen that then does not happen happen. (laughs) like yeah immediately he shows up and he's just he's one swing he's dead knife to the chest or axe to the chest um the ghosts in this movie are so great the ghost, uh, the the. Awful glad yes, be that Lloyd. Yeah, so Lloyd as twenties right Lloyd, here in my wallet. Lloyd, who is also Lloyd, the bartender is also uh, in Blade Runner. So when you watch Blade Runner, oh. he's like the main guy who is in charge of the corporation who makes all the nice. uh, white he, man's burden. Yeah, Lloyd. white man's burden. White Lloyd. man's burden. There's another. There's another <laughs> reference there for the uh, the indigenous people. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just, a, and this is a movie, like, it's so beautiful that I'll just put this movie on. Like, this is a movie that I, it's, I'll just watch it. Like, when, when kids are gone or, or like, at night, I'll just throw it on. This is a good. You're like, uh, let me sit down and write a sermon and put on The Shining. Like, yeah, bum, yeah. Bum, <laughs> bum, yeah bum, the, the music, bum. That, that's Burlots, Burlots. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah. Da, da, and the, this, the, the, um, the, like the creepy helicopter script, shot like, from from that and yeah. the font is so oh, great man. Oh. up the road to the overlook oh it's yeah. so this is a movie this is a good movie this is a, <laughs> it's a perfect it's, it's a perfect, perfect movie. movie yeah and the reveal of the all all work and no play make jack of okay so yeah oh, that, the 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 manuscript where where every page is all work and no play that's oh, so, so great. good and, and every different someone had to type all that out yeah they literally had yeah the assistant Stanley Kubrick's yeah. assistant had to type yeah. different man uh, and just the oh, and sound design is great. Like him riding the his, sound his so three good. wheel or his the uh, hot wheel. Yeah, 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 yeah. And riding it on the carpet and then the the floor 
and they follow mm-hmm. this. Like there's so much just aesthetic yeah. building uh, to give you a vibe that is so perfect for this movie. Yeah, it's it's you know movies. That, I mean, just like do the right thing. I think movies that have this like impeccable style and filmmaking and like such are just beautiful to watch yeah. and look at like from a physical like movie. Yeah, and then also have like just like perfect plot and characters. Yeah. Like it, it's. These are rare, but this is what we're, you know. Yeah. And especially because there's so much, like, Shelley Duvall's performance is so unhinged, it shouldn't work. It wouldn't work in any other movie. Jack Nicholson is going right. so far over the top, but it's just <laughs> right. Like, it really is just right. Like, he is going as hard as he's ever gone. And Jack Nicholson can go big. He is going so big. Um, yeah. But it's but it, perfect. But they both work. Yeah. Oh, and she's, yeah, she totally works well. as like, when he's writing or, you know, we think he's trying to write and she comes up, she's like, <laughs> How's it going, honey? Like, do you want to? Yeah, she's so nice. You want a I, sandwich? He's like, she's Shit perfectly. Out of here. Like, yeah. if you, yeah, like anytime you've like tried to write something and block people out, and yeah. she comes up like, can oh, I yeah. read some later? Like, like get away from me, Wendy. <laughs> oh, it's horrible. Yeah, it's we're not in any way uplifting the the treatment of women in this movie. Like, yeah, it's uh, there's just horrible, horrible people in this movie. Uh, yeah, so that's yeah. our number five. Our number five. My number four. Uh, here we go. My number four, also from 1980. It's The Empire Strikes Back. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I have some more to say about this one. I'm but, sure but you later. do, Lloyd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Empire Strikes Back is Star Wars. It's the best Star Wars movie of all time. It's uh, one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh it's this adult Star Wars movie. We got some, it's real sexual tension here in this movie. Uh, it's got one-liners. It's got action. With three characters. Got, like there's a love triangle. A legitimate because it's very yeah. clear that uh, – <laughs> it, and very definitively clear, like provable that yes. Leia 100%. and Luke were not brother and sister in this movie. Right. Like that is not – that was never written. That was never – no one made this movie thinking that. George Lucas wasn't even thinking that at the time. No, yeah, George Lucas it was had a cleaning a, up, it was cleaning up loose ends in Jedi right. that they were yeah, laying groundwork he, for, for for future movies beyond part 3 uh, yeah. which becomes part 6 but uh and then they just didn't want to deal with it. George and Lucas This movie is the introduction of Yoda. I mean, come oh, on. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> that guy's uh, so annoying. Yeah, oh Yoda's so great and and the introduction of Boba Fett and you get real Boba Darth Fett. Vader. Boba Fett. Boba Fett. Boba Fett. <laughs> Where? Uh you get real Darth Vader, uh, whereas in the first movie you only get ten minutes of Darth Five Vader. Five minutes, right, yeah. right, right. Um, and Han Solo is like almost the main character of this movie, which like, is why this is the best movie. Oh, it's so great, and it's yeah. the one. It's the one where Harrison Ford is all in because he has oh, yeah. checked out of Jedi, uh, and he. I mean, he's he's doing a great checked out. He Harrison makes... Ford is still better than almost every actor who, who yeah. plays the same character. Look, Harrison Ford has heavily populated our lists, and I think we'll continue to at the end. So yeah, um, I, Harrison Ford is in at least uh, at least what six of my top thirty movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Harrison Ford is the best, and Carrie Fisher. I mean, him and Carrie Fisher in this movie are are, are so good. Uh, the the scene like from the beginning the first time you see them and then they start walking through the hallways and are arguing Mm -hmm. it's like uh come on you wanted to see me like uh you can use a good kiss so great in this movie there's a little uh, the the dynamic is a little problematic about how kind of forceful he is it's very 80s you don't want to forgive it but at the same time i feel like princess leia is a strong enough character that i think i bring a lot of she's not helpless and be like 
mm-hmm. it, it, which is maybe problematic on my own. Right. But uh, yeah, yeah it's he just, does it's like a little, it's a little, it, it's a, the kiss, it gives you he some really, pause. He really yeah. pushes on the, the kiss. Yeah. This is peak Harrison Ford charm scoundrel. He's hitting on all levels mm-hmm. in this thing. Um, the, the, the effects in this movie, the flight, there's no flight scenes that are as good as this one. I don't know how we're going to get out of this one. Laser blast! Come hit us. Han, get up here. Come on, Chewie. Asteroids. Chewie, set two seven one. What are you doing? You're not actually going into an asteroid field. They'd be crazy to follow us, wouldn't they? You don't have to do this to impress me, sir. The possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. Never tell me the odds. In terms of Star Wars, the, the space battles, the space the space scenes, space flight scenes in this movie are yeah. better than any other. Well, in the lightsaber fight, I mean, like, <sighs> oh. the li- there's no so real good. sword fight in the first movie. In, and they lose. I mean, he it's, loses. That's what's so loses. great. This movie's oh. great. They lose... I mean, it's you can give your uh, speech, you give the same speech you gave from Dunkirk, but it's the yeah. we lose the battle, but yep. we keep on fighting, we keep yep. on persevering. Um, oh, it's so great, and Leia is so great. R two and C three PO are so great. Hoth as a setting, Hoth, Hoth. Cloud City as a setting. We're just gonna say things. We're just gonna yeah. say words. From well, this you've movie. already Dagobah. done a full podcast on Star Wars. Yeah, that's true. Dagobah system. <laughs> Dagobah system. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it's and and I mean it's really it's it's peak Mark Hamill too. Like his he's bringing the acting yeah. to this movie in a way that I I think he gets unfairly criticized for being a bad actor. I think he's a good actor, but he's great. He's in fine. This. He's great yeah. in this. Uh, uh, and Billy Darth D, Vader, we, Billy D. Williams coming in with his charm. <laughs> well, well, well. What do we have here? <laughs> Talk about problematic, man. Yeah, that guy. He's peak charm. Oh, he is this, peak like, charm. There's almost like. Harrison Ford, you watch the first hour of this movie, and you're like, boy, I, whew, it's hard to beat Harrison Ford. And Lando shows up, and in three seconds, like, holy shit. I didn't realize people were this cool. Yeah, but I also love that Princess Leia is not having it. Carrie Fisher <laughs> is like, she's, she, oh, I think, she'll fall to the trauma. She's, oh, she's I think not she's having it. it a little bit. No, no, she's not having it. Immediately, oh. she, she gets Chewie to strangle him, and she's like, yeah, go ahead and kill him, Chewie. <laughs> And then Chewie's like, wait a minute. I think I love that his commitment to not pronouncing Han Solo. Like not saying Han. Else. Yeah, he has to say Han. There's been an entire movie where everyone pronounced the movie and pronounced it before. There had to have been a choice where everyone's just like, yeah, just, I guess, just let him say it. He's Billy D. Williams. We let him do whatever he wants, man. Come on. But, uh, you know, Empire Strikes Back, you've, you've heard us talk about Star Wars before. You'll hear us talk about Star Wars again, I'm sure. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, so that's that's my number four. My number four is a movie that uh, previously mentioned, but it is uh, the 1984 classic Ghostbusters. I'm worried, Ray. It's getting crowded in there, and all my recent data points to something big on the horizon. What do you mean, the big? Well, let's say this Twinkie represents the normal amount of psychokinetic energy in the New York area. According to this morning sample, it would be a Twinkie. 35 feet long, weighing approximately 600 pounds. <coughs> That's a big Twinkie. We could be on the verge of a four-fold cross-rip, a PKE surge of incredible, even dangerous proportions. 
We just had a visit from the Environmental Protection Agency. How's the grid holding up? It's not good. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? Uh, Ivan Reitman. It is. A, it's a perfect movie. It's. Uh, and I think I said this on a previous podcast, but it, it it nails everything right. The story is perfect. The effects are perfect. Like, mm-hmm. um, the 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 scares are great. The, the Stay Puft Marshmallow the, Man. The Stay Puft Marshmallow. Like everything is fully realized. The characters. You care about the characters. Even Winston Zedmore, who was just one of the most thinly written characters in it. You really care about him. Louis Tully. You care about him. Like, it's so well done. It's it's I don't want to say it's peak Bill Murray because Bill Murray has done so many great things, but he is just be. classic. Bill, I mean, yeah. it's peak Bill Murray in that I think he's gotten to this peak in other places. Um, sure, but he, I'm not sure he's surpassed Fair. this, but he's definitely gotten back to it and in different ways. Like uh, I think Lost in Translation and Groundhog Day are both also the first hour of Stripes. In ways. <laughs> oh man, Stripes is a rough one. <laughs> you watch that one again. I love you Stripes. You can edit half an hour out of Stripes and it would still be. I love the first, the first hour of Stripes is in my top 10. The second hour is not. <laughs> yeah. The last 20 minutes of Stripes is almost like a, uh, they like turn the into movie. an action top. movie. It's it, ridiculous. But it's also like top secret that that Zucker Brothers <laughs> movie. Like it's just super. They're driving a Winnebago. <laughs> yeah, uh, anyway, Stripes is a great movie. Yeah, Ghostbusters. Just, oh, it's just great. And we've already talked yeah. about it. Harold Ramis is wonderful. We didn't really. Dan Aykroyd. Well, yeah. What was this year? Number. My number 11. 11. Oh, okay. I just wanted to argue with you about Bull Durham, so I took it out, honestly. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it's just a perfect movie. I, I can't. I figured you would have it at the top. Yeah, it, it's, so. it's, and it's so funny. It's so quotable. Um, it, 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 Sigourney Weaver is a great character. Um, and just Rick really Moranis, holds her own. Rick Moranis. 10 minutes so, Rick Moranis is so great in this movie. <laughs> okay, who brought the dog? <laughs> There's so many. Lo- I mean, this is one of those ones that's one another of those quotable out of movies ever. Yeah. Listen, yeah. do you smell something? <laughs> we uh, One that we say a lot is, where do these stairs go? They go up. Like that. <laughs> uh, I, I always that? love it. The wall is enough. 42nd Precinct are bleeding. Ghostbusters. Mayo wants to talk to you guys. Carl Winslow coming back in. The uh, <laughs> Reginald Bell Johnson. We'll just quote this movie. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't I don't really know. I mean, it's just a, it's a great movie. And I would, I, I would, when I said Coming to America is the best comedy, I feel that Ghostbusters has some, it's a, it's a perfect comedy, but it's also got so many more elements of it um, mm-hmm. that it really nails all those elements so perfectly. Um, kind of like uh, we talked about with some other movies on this list already, but it just, it, in a way that like Ghostbusters 2 is a really good movie. And we don't notice it because Ghostbusters one is such an improbably perfect movie. Like Ghostbusters yeah. two is way better than many comedies that came out in 1989, but it's compared to probably to, to arguably one of the best comedies ever made. Um, and uh, so that's unfair to Ghostbusters yeah. two, but Ghostbusters oh, two has I, got some great I stuff. I think it's the best comedy. I mean, I, I think it might be the best comedy ever made. Like it's up, you know, yeah. like it really is. It, it, it's, it's hysterical. Like yeah. I've seen, you've seen it a thousand times and it's so and perfect. And, and it, it also leans into Bill Murray, not caring. <laughs> like his, you can tell yeah. that when Bill Murray gets annoyed and it, when uh, you can see the actor, like a, Bill Murray, just like, I don't really care about the scene. It works really well for his character and the way that they introduce the character as oh, yeah. a guy who doesn't care about science and is lying just to pick up this girl like that, that defines mm-hmm. them pretty well. So yeah, that's my number four. Are you the key Western. master? <laughs> I'm the gatekeeper. <laughs> gatekeeper. That's one of my favorite uh, couple costumes is that Adrian and I went as the key master and the gatekeeper a couple years you ago. You guys did that costume very well. Yeah, it worked out mm-hmm. uh, exceptionally well. Yeah. So, number four, Ghostbusters. Yeah. My number three is Do the Right Thing. Okay. Mookie! So you know I'm still 
What? How come you got no brothers up on the wall? Man, ask Sal, right? Hey, hey, Sal, how come you got no brothers up on the wall here? You want brothers on the wall? Get your own place. You can do what you want to do. You can put your brothers and uncles and nieces and nephews, your stepfather, stepmother, whoever you want. You see? But this is my pizzeria. American Italians on the wall only. Take it easy, huh? And you, hey, don't stop with me today. What? Yeah, that might be fine, Sal, but uh, you, you own this. Rarely do I see any American Italians eating in here. All I see is black folks. So since we spend much money here, we do have some set. You looking for trouble? Are you a troublemaker? Is that what you are? You making trouble? Yeah, I'm a troublemaker. I'm making trouble. You're a real ball breaker. Who's coming in here looking for trouble, huh? Suppose I busted your head. How would you? Uh, Mookie. Mookie, you want to get your friend out of here? Well, are you going to kick me out now? Are you, you going to kick me out, huh? No, I'm not kicking you out. You're kicking yourself out. What? Look, we got some brothers up on the wall, you Let's know? Go. Malcolm X, Nelson Mandela, you know, you know Michael Jordan. Tomorrow. Come on, Mookie, get him out, all right? I'm trying to get him out. Yeah, I paid for it. I know you paid for it. Let's go. Yeah, all right. All right. So you're kicking me out. Beat me in the head. He's going to kick me out, right? Come on, let's yeah, go. okay. Bet. Yeah, all right. Let's yeah, go. look, I paid for my. Look, boycott styles. Go. Right? Yo, boycott styles. I got Yo, your whoops. boycott swing. Boycott styles. Yo, man, pay... what you laughing at? Yo, I paid for my slice, man. Uh, do you do you have anything else about do the right thing? We talked about that quite a bit. Uh, I feel like we did the right. Uh, yeah, we, we, we did the right thing. My number four is Back to the Future, or my number three is Back to the Future. Never mind that, never mind that now, never mind that, never mind. Why, that's me! Look at me! I'm an old man! I'm Dr. Emmett Brown, I'm standing here on the parking lot. Of Thank God I still got my hair! But what on earth is this thing I'm wearing? Wow, this, this is a radiation suit. Radiation suit? Of course. Because of all the fallout from the atomic wars. This is truly amazing. A portable television studio. No wonder your president has to be an actor. He's got to look good on television. Whoa, this is it. This is the part coming up, Doc. No, 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 no. This sucker's electrical. But I need a nuclear reaction to, to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. What did I just say? The flux capacitor stores... <laughs> this sucker's electrical. But I need a nuclear reaction to, to generate the 1.21 gigawatts of electricity. 1.21 gigawatts! 1.21 gigawatts! There you go. There we go. Do yeah. you want to say any more? I think yeah. Back to the Future is another perfect movie. I think everything, the effects, the characters, the everything. And, and just like uh, similar, but even more so than Ghostbusters 2, I think Back to the Future 2 is an incredible movie. Uh, that's Yeah. It's, that has, it's doing so much that you, like to watch it, it's almost exhausting to see how well they deal with some really hard things to retrofit this movie um, and to build to a like to bridge between these two movies. And Back to the Future 3 is Back to the Future 3 is more like like Ghostbusters 2 in that it's a really good movie that is not as not nearly as good as the original movie. And so we forget right. that it's good because we're comparing it to an amazing movie, like a perfect movie. Uh, but Back to the Future 2 is doing so much. And does it really well, and that's an '89 movie, so that I would lump that in. But Back to the Future yeah. one is just—it's a perfect. And movie. Back to the Future two, I think, almost more than one, like influenced the time travel and the yeah. storytelling. It has for to years, reckon with the time travel. One thing that come. I did say 
last on the on the Back to the Future podcast that I do think is worth reiterating, and I'll say this for Ghostbuster too. I think he even made this comparison there, is that they both deal with the science perfectly. In that the science of both Ghostbusters and Back to the Future is bonkers ridiculous like it doesn't make any sense and they give you just enough of an explanation that you can then suspend disbelief in a way that you don't really have to work very hard they're like oh yeah the flux capacitor that's how you time travel they don't explain how it works they're just like you need the flux capacitor and then as an audience member you're like oh of course flux capacitor there we go one flux capacitor like a perfectly named thing yeah yeah and and (laughs) the the same thing for proton pack like, right. it, like, oh yeah, a proton pack. And then you have the trap. And they go through this scene where they, they both, both movies have a scene where a scientist explains to someone, here's how it works. And neither of those explanations, whether they're saying you put the trap in the receptacle, light turns green, trap is clean. And the flux capacitor, it's what makes time travel possible. Neither one of those explain anything. They're just perfectly... Sure. The screenplay writing in both of those scenes is so perfect yes. that as an audience, you're like, thank you for explaining this thing that I don't, that I'm not incredibly interested in, but it helps me to get on board with the rest of the movie. And yeah. there's a lot of movies that are really good that don't have that scene and are, they suffer from it. Like Inception does that really well too, where Inception almost explains it. It explains around it in a way that as an audience member, you're like, oh yeah, they just plug this thing in and then they're in their dreams. Mm-hmm. It, but mm-hmm. it doesn't in any way have to do the heavy lifting of actually trying to postulate how this thing could really happen it just gives you enough yeah. as an audience so you're like okay I, that's all i need let's go on with the movie and and, and it's fun and it's uh back to the future is fun like uh, it's just so, so fun, like fun. to it to, like it's fun enough that you don't care really what a flux capacitor does no. you're just like flux capacitor is a great name yeah they explain it like just well enough that you get it and they move on and they no keep one's on coming to this movie and, wanting to know how you travel in time they just want to travel in time and so but you do right. need something to say Here's how you travel the time. Here's how you do it. Yeah. yeah. And also with Back to the Future, just like uh, Do the Right Things credit sequence, like a perfect credit sequence in Back to the Future with the with the clocks. Uh, the clocks and the Einstein. What's yeah. that machine called? Where yeah. it's like every... The dot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, so the Rube Goldberg type thing. Yeah. Rube Goldberg machine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To like start the day and then he plays the guitar into the huge speakers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's interesting how little of a, of a character arc that Marty McFly actually has. He has a little bit of one, but not much in the... For, for as great as this movie is, he, he doesn't develop much as a character. Like, he doesn't have the traditional growth. He, yeah, sure. He does a little bit in terms of confidence, and he, which is fulfilled in him playing Donnie Be Good, but then they try to retrofit this coward plot, which is the weakest part of the sequels Yeah. in the, in yeah. the, in the second and third movie. But that, I just think that's interesting because it's so against type in terms of screenwriting that your main character doesn't really go on this journey of exploration and learning more about himself. He just kind of, he facilitates that for other people. Uh, which is really kind of interesting. But I guess Frodo's kind of like that. Frodo yeah. doesn't really grow. He just lets everybody around him grow. Yeah, hey, Frodo, like, uh, I mean, is corrupted by evil and has to be, like, yeah. uh, you know. But it's not like Luke, who Luke starts. Luke is the traditional. Well, right, Luke is a clear hero's journey. Hero's journey, yeah. yeah. Where he's like, I'm a farm boy. And at the end, he's like, I'm a Jedi. Whereas, like, this one, Marty <laughs> McFly is like, I'm a rock star who can get the chicks. And at the end, he's like, I'm a rock star who can get the chicks. Like, it yeah. works out well get the one that i want yeah anyway, that's my number, uh, my number two um it might well no. my number two is a perfect movie uh it is a very it's one of the quintessential jimmy movies i think i've seen recently it's not one that i watched as a child uh like most of these movies i have but i watched this one uh i definitely watched it as a child actually but i i've you know not as not to remember it and then watched it recently and it's a perfect film uh my number two is the 1987 movie Broadcast News. Oh, uh, 
I forgot directed that by, that was coming. Yeah, I have not seen this movie. Directed by James L. Brooks. Yeah. Uh, one of the uh, best writers of all time. Uh, creator of The Simpsons. Co-creator of The Simpsons. Creator of The Simpsons. Yep. Uh, wrote my uh, number 30, Terms of Endearment, and wrote this movie, Broadcast News. Writer, director of star- Spanglish. Yes, yeah, Spanglish. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, this movie stars Holly Hunter um, in a... Uh, perfect role. This this and Raising Arizona came out the same year, and that is a same year. Oh man, eighty yeah, seven isn't Raising Arizona eighty seven? Yeah, I think it is eighty seven. Yeah, yeah. So these were her first two movie roles. Were these two? Uh, no, two, two starring performances. I think she has like one or two like cameos, yeah. and then oh, two starring performances. She's in so two good in Raising Arizona. Movies. Yeah, yeah, she is great in this. Uh, so broadcast news. I don't think so many wait, people have seen it. Who are the other? So it's her and John Hurt. It's her, Albert William, Brooks, William and Hurt. William Hurt. Yeah. Not John um, Hurt. Bron- John Hurt. No, William Hurt. <laughs> yeah. uh, broadcast News. I don't think many people have seen it. Uh, I've been sort of evangelizing for it in my in my life. Well, and Most it's currently, have... as I think we mentioned, I can't remember if this made it on the episode or not, but you I didn't asked say me the to, title yet. You asked me to watch this a while ago, uh, and then re-asked me about two weeks ago, and I have it on my set, but it's not currently streaming on anything, and you have to buy it, and it's like twenty bucks. Like it's, so it's available not even... to rent for three ninety nine. Yeah, on... I like renting movies because if I, I like it, I want to keep it. Experiences. Well, you know, I rented a bunch of movies for this podcast, so I guess one of us is committed. Uh, <laughs> look, Broadcast News is a movie that stars Holly Hunter as a producer for a television news program. Her, uh, She's a close friend who's Albert Brooks, who plays this uh, very intelligent uh, but neurotic and uh, pretty uh, a little bit mean reporter who sort of yearns to be on TV and, and bigger and more famous, but because he thinks he's smart, uh, he's very intelligent, but not like good with people. And then a William Hurt comes in as a news anchor who is uh, good looking, very charming, very good at being a news anchor, but not very intelligent and not very uh, good at sort of the news. In the nice. summer per se. of 1981, two Libyan jets suddenly attacked two American F-14s flying a routine train over the Gulf of Sidra. Gaddafi claimed then, as he does now, that the Gulf is part of Libya's territorial waters, a view not shared by other nations, including the U.S. After a brief dogfight, both Libyan jets were downed by the American fighters. The name is Nathan Benchley. Nathan Benchley is at the Pentagon. So, That's great. Commander, That's it must great. have been a bit tougher today shooting down the MiG-21. The one you got was an SU-22. What's it like at the yes, moment of correct. confrontation? What's it like to be in a real dogfight? Okay, after this guy, we'll go for a wrap-up. You'll have about 10 seconds. Ask him, how does he know when he has a hit? Do you know you have a hit from one of those screens inside your cockpit, or can you actually see your missile strike the other plane with your eye? That's good. The equipment is very sophisticated, but... Uh, from a pilot's point of view, you like to see it to confirm it. Thank you, Commander. It has always been considered an outlaw nation. But strangely, some of those who have interviewed Gaddafi find him in a phrase we like to use in this country, very presidential. Nice, Jay. New Jane, wait just a minute. Then we're going to go to Martin Kreinich State for the message from Libya. Then you're going to have the carrier pilot from the Sidra in time to... What?! No! You missed him! We only have ten minutes left. How can you talk to me about parking problems? No! Not your try! You'll do it! Do it! Or I'll fry your fat ass as still! Goodbye! I had no idea she was this good. Tom. Tom. Phil for a second. Tom? Go. 
The latest message seems to indicate that the Libyan pilot was acting on his own without authority from anyone else. Stand by camera two. In other words, I think we're all okay. Okay, Tom, wrap it up. Who the hell cares what you think? The Libyan government has disavowed any prior knowledge of the attack. Um, so the movie is at some points a love triangle between the between the characters. Um, is at some and is also a movie about the about the news, about doing the news and the morality of reporting and how do we present things on television? How do we report? How do we make money while doing the news? Uh, is that even something that should be important? Um, it's a movie that, like a lot of these other movies, is totally prescient to today. Mm-hmm. I think all of the sort of conversations about the news and what the, what news means and how what's the morality of, of reporting and, and editing and, and stuff still totally works to this day. It's still totally relevant. Uh, I find it fascinating. Um, it's a movie like my number one from the 2010s, The Social Network, that is a perfect screenplay that every character is like, uh, the three main characters are totally like perfectly written and all of their lines of dialogue are great. Um, it's like a, it's a well-directed movie. It's a style, stylized movie. Um, I love it. It's it's great. I relate to all three of the characters uh, it diff- differently. Um, sort of the the needy neurotic guy. I just you know, I've, like other movies, I love quoting. Um, at one point, Albert Brooks goes like, "Wouldn't this be great? A great world if insecurity and depression made us more attractive. <laughs> if needy were a turn on." <laughs> uh like it's 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 great uh, i mean uh, you know one point you know says to holly the uh porter says to holly hunter like it must be nice to always believe you know better to always think you're the smartest person in the room and holly hunter responds like no it's awful <laughs> yeah this it, this movie's hilarious it's one of the funniest movies i've seen it's endlessly quotable it's uh like thought-provoking and prescient on how we treat people and how we interact in the news uh, it's it's incredible. I can't say enough. I really would recommend everyone to watch this movie. It's perfect. It has well written characters, and unlike a lot of movies, like the Holly Hunter character is is like a three dimensional person who is her own person, and not just this uh, either an object of male gaze or an object of male fantasy. Like she's a real well written uh, full person, and I this movie's great. I love it so much, and yeah. will recommend it forever. When was the first time you saw it? Uh, I I definitely watched parts of it as a like younger, but uh, like two years ago, I watched it the first time, and I've watched it like seven times in the past two years. Like yeah. I return continuously want to return to this movie uh, and hang out with the people. I love like just being in a world. It's similar to I also just love reporting movies. I love Spotlight. Yeah. I love All the President's Men. Um, it's like it's a precursor to I think Sorkin. This movie, yeah. uh, the sort of Sorkin style of writing. Um, like I can endlessly rewatch it. But yeah, I need to check that out. Yeah, Albert Brooks and I and I love I watched multiple Albert Brooks movies that he directed uh in this for preparing for this podcast. I'm a big fan. He is so neurotic, uh but I think more and neurotic and charming and not problematic Woody Allen. Yeah. Yes. Woody Allen. Like he's yes. he's I think he's like he's a much better Woody Allen. Yeah. Um He's a little less I think Woody Allen is frustratingly clever and engaging. Like it I want to not like Woody Allen as much. Like he he does a good job of being clever, but he also is very yeah. problematic. I find Albert Brooks pretty clever too, uh, yeah. but but Albert Brooks is it, like Woody Allen always wants you to like him. Albert Brooks is very fine with you not liking him. That's true. Yeah, Albert Brooks is definitely okay with you not yeah. liking him, which is a more endearing thing 
also broadcast news just a movie they don't do they do not make movies like this anymore uh like that have this are this what there it's clearly a movie made for adults in a professional setting with like stars and a bigger budget that also like is a there's a romance there's romance movie that's not like tacked on just because it's like part of their lives it's where where when work becomes your entire life like that like relationships will bleed into that um it's it's great it's so good okay my number two is one that i'm surprised actually hasn't come up yet uh it is um a movie from 1981 by a director who has not come up yet um it's directed by steven spielberg it is raiders of the lost ark it is as is the theme in these top five it is a perfect movie yep Belloc. good afternoon dr jones i ought to kill you right now not a very private place for a murder well, these Arabs don't care if we kill each other. They're not going to interfere in our business. It was not I who brought the girl into this business. Please sit down before you fall down. We can at least behave like civilized people. I see your taste in friends remains consistent. How odd that it should end this way for us after so many stimulating encounters. Almost regretted. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You and I are very much alike. Archaeology is our religion. Yet we have both fallen from the pure faith. Our methods have not differed as much as you pretend. I am a shadowy reflection of you. It'll take only a nudge to make you like me, to push you out of the light. Now you're getting nasty. You know it's true. This is probably peak Harrison Ford. Uh, Oh, yeah. And it is just... This is peak cinema. It's perfect. It's the perfect blockbuster. I mean, it defines kind of the 80s blockbuster in that it is... It, an artistic movie that is for the masses. Uh, it does not compromise in vision. It is so much fun. There's so it, the music is perfectly synced to it. The plot mm-hmm. is so perfectly done. The bad guys are perfect. <laughs> yeah. The effects are perfect. The the uh, female character is the strongest of any of the female characters in in the movies that that he's made. And he's- these big eighties um, yeah. blockbusters. And there, sure. and there's some like hints of kind of problematic eighties stuff, but even Karen Allen just acts it like portrays it so well that kind of the similar feel to how I have with the, uh, I'm probably more forgiving of empire than I need to be because Princess Carrie Leia. Fisher is such yeah. a great actress. Yeah. And same thing with, with Marion uh, Ravenwood in this one played by uh, um, Karen. Um, I hope you could hear my cat meow. And I'm going to leave it in just to hear. It was so classic. He's got such yeah. a great meow. That was Hobbs, my big fat cat. He too likes Raiders. He does. Uh, and he was saying Alan because he couldn't, I couldn't remember that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's the casting is perfect. It's just a perfect movie. Like it's, yeah. I can't, I, there's not really Raiders much of, to say about it. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Raiders of the Lost Ark is movie. my number one. Oh, nice. Well, my number one was Empire Strikes Back. So tell me about, uh, tell me about uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, so a couple, uh, you know, 
like Tyler, who I think that was the first time I ever heard Tyler sort of be uneloquent in his praise or something. It's, just, it's, I don't know what I, to which say. Which makes me that. really happy because there is almost nothing to say about like Raiders of the Lost Ark that like if you if you haven't seen it, I guess go watch it. I mean, uh, but I'll you know most people have seen it. Uh, so a couple of years ago, Steven Soderbergh, uh, aforementioned director of Sex oh, yeah. Videotape, I forgot and about Ocean's this. Eleven. Oh, I forgot um, about this. And a season Soderbergh like makes a movie every year. Basically, he's a incredible director he he released online on his website for free he put raiders of the lost ark he made it in black and white and took out all of the dialogue and sound and just put in like not really just to have sound in it the soundtrack to the social network and a girl with the dragon tattoo um to sort of synth the uh not ominous but there's background music just to have and he said just you know, we've all seen Raiders of the Lost Ark before. It's perfect. Just focus on, like, the staging and the lighting. And I'm going to take out all the distractions, the color, the, like, the fun score, the dialogue, and just focus on the staging and the lighting of this movie. It's perfect. And it is. It This is, like, they don't make blockbusters that look this good, that are this well, like, shot yeah. and directed and acted, frankly. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, the, this movie is, is, will be appreciated forever. Uh, the opening, I mean, every, every scene in this, we could just go through every scene in the movie and be like, this is perfectly made, but like the opening scene of walking through the jungle and then going through the cave and getting the like idol and then the stone rolling down and Alfred Molina was awesome. Yeah. Uh, betraying him, uh, is like, it's perfect. There's no, we can't be any more eloquent than just saying like Raiders of the Lost Ark is a perfect film. Mm -hmm. It's like, literally one of the greatest films ever made uh you know and harrison ford's a just beautiful man oh it's it's so good it's so good every i can't the punching and like the sound effects in this so it's uh again the, mm -hmm. the sound effects in this is the guy who did the sound effects for um for star wars which is uh ben burt and the way that the punch sound is him slamming his hand into a leather jacket or a leather baseball glove plus like hitting a cane against the wall or something like that. And so like the punches like right. and, and the, like the guns sound like a cannon going out. Like everything is so um, unique to this movie, but so hyper uh, adventure. Like it, it's, it's just a yeah. great, oh, it's a great movie. And I love that he's flawed. Like when he fights uh, the two different fight scenes, one where he fights the guy in the marketplace and just pulls out his gun and pulls out, yeah, the guy swings the machete around and Harris's board just pulls out yeah. the gun, shoots him, and then, like, uh, yeah. smiles. And the other, strokes. which is, the, and I mean, that's often repeated, but it's because he had dysentery when they were filming that yeah. scene. And he just, they had a whole thing planned out, and he's like, I can't do it. And they're like, no, can I just shoot him? And they're like, oh, yeah, he does have this gun. Why doesn't he just shoot him? Right. Uh, and then another, the other scene is where he's fighting the giant, like, Nazi mechanic. Uh, around the while the airplane the is airplane, slowly yeah. spinning around, and yeah. he goes to punch him at first, and the guy just punches him in the face. And the way he falls so hard on his butt <laughs> is such a great like <laughs> sign of being actually hurt. That it's yeah, like Harrison Ford plays weakness in a strong character so well uh, that it's just it's lovely to see that vulnerability. Um, and I think that that's mm -hmm. one of my favorite things about it, just the vulnerability that he brings yeah. to these characters. And the, the, it's all physical acting. Yeah. I mean, Harrison oh, Ford. He's I mean, like a silent actor. Yeah. 
Yeah, he doesn't say very much. Like, he's not like Han Solo, who always has the quippy one-liner. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, he's not like a lot of the other movies I like that are, we just been quote half this podcast is us just been quoting things back at each other. Yep. But Raiders is, and it has great quotable lines, but, like, it works so well because of everything going on around it, and just because Harrison Ford is perfect at reacting and, like, and just being a physical presence on camera. Jones? Jones! I'm gonna blow up the acrony! Your persistence surprises even me. You're gonna give mercenaries a bad name. Dr. Jones? Surely you don't think you can escape from this island? It depends on how reasonable we're all willing to be. All I want is the girl. If we refuse, then your Fuhrer has no prize. Okay, stand back. All of you, stand back. Sit back. Okay, Jones. You win. Blow it up. Zurück! 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 Yes, blow it up! Blow it back to God. All your life has been spent in pursuit of archaeological relics. Inside the Ark are treasures beyond your wildest aspirations. You want to see it open as well as I. Indiana, we are simply passing through history. This, this is history. Do as you will. I'm really glad that Raiders was your number one because I was trying to think of like, what could it be? Yeah, so we already talked about Empire plenty, but Empire was number, my number one. Uh, I just think it's a it's a per, again it's a perfect sequel because it's better than mm-hmm. the last, and it's just a perfectly realized movie, and and it does it holds its own for being a movie that you really kind of need to see the movies on either side of it for it to really fully make sense, but you kind of don't to appreciate yeah. how beautiful it is. I think yeah, I think I put I put Empire four and I had to do the right thing, broadcast news and yeah. Raiders above it, and just. I mean, this is all like perfect movies, so it doesn't really matter at all. And these, this change, and I've seen Empire the most probably out of any of these, even Raiders. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think, I think Raider, like Star Wars, I think, I mean, I just talked to someone who watched, was watching the original Star Wars movies for the very first time at 20 years old. So I was like, that's wild, but yeah. I'm glad you're having fun. Uh, I don't know how well they, I think, I mean, they hold up great, but like, I don't know how well they hold up for like adults who watch them for the first time. It's hard to know, like, the movies that are just so entrenched in our, in our being yeah 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 like, like everyone already knows luke i we didn't even talk about luke i am your father but yeah. like like it's like one of it's the most famous line maybe yeah. ever well like, that's uh, not the line it's no or it's not yeah i am your father yeah uh well and and i mean similarly my top five shining ghostbusters back to the future raiders empire any of those i could put on right now like i'd be very fine to just yeah. watch them at any given time i can watch them in the middle all the way through or just part of it. If I can't think of something to watch, I would put on any of those movies just to have on in the background. They're fantastic movies. I think we said this on the, on our first time, but the the whole point of going through this is that, um, if the, I mean, how this connects on a podcast where we are connect talking about culture and and God, I I think that the eighties are such any of these decades have movies that tend to define them and tend to define us in certain ways, because each of these movies speaks to us 
And one of the, the, the main conceit of this podcast is that if God is the creator of all things, then God's fingerprints are all over everything. And to me, mm-hmm. all of these movies, especially my top 10, I see God richly in each of these. The Last Temptation of Christ is obviously an easy one, but the, the, the beauty of creation and the intersection of, of uh, kind of these, the mashup of, of noir culture with cartoons and little kid stuff in Roger Rabbit, like the, the integration of that is so beautiful and shows this creativity that I see godly, that and coming to America, the richness of understanding this culture that was so foreign to me, even in a comedic way. Uh, Blade Runner, this kind of expansion of uh, uh, understanding consciousness and experience and humanity, do the right thing. Again, understanding in a very intentional way, uh, kind of conflicting with with different cultures and what the right thing is. And that uh, oftentimes in Christianity, we act like the right thing is easy, but it's not. Um, mm. and, and especially like love your neighbor as yourself is such a simple concept, but it's a very hard thing to do. And whether what Mookie does in this movie, is that the most loving thing to do? One can make a very salient argument that it is. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. a, a really compelling movie. Like what is love your neighbor as yourself in the context of do the right thing is really, really interesting conversation to have. The shining is just brutal, but beautiful and sees this beauty in uh, like, I think as a piece of art, that's where I see kind of the beauty in it. It's there's really nothing uplifting about this movie. It's really kind of watching, hard things happen to people for, for so long. There is hope. Elevator full of blood is so uplifting. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's just the beauty in the complexity of that. Uh, I mean, I think that there is something, it, it's a rich piece of art that doesn't need to be overly explained in that sense. And I think you could talk about it a long time, but to find God in a movie like The Shining may be more oblique than finding God in a movie like The Last Temptation of Christ or even Do the Right Thing. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not to go through like uh, my list, but it's yeah. like at a certain point, movies and art is like a reflection of of God and like the and his uh, God's like spirit in this world and and human creativity and yeah. like human emotion and experience. I mean, these these films like Raging Bull isn't uplifting in any sense no. of the word, um, but it is like a fascinating creation and like a person and and like God is in all things and in all people. And so to, to to watch these movies, to talk about them with you, Tyler, uh, to talk about them with other people in my life uh, is like forming community, is coming together um, and is like spiritual and God given. So uh, Twitter question for today is what uh, I mean, obviously, what 80s movies do you love? But even more so, what what about movies? This is kind of the perpetual question as we periodically do these kind of movie-themed ones. Uh, what is it about movies that helps you to understand the world, humanity better? Like, And it could just be emotions. Like, There's some of these movies, again, that just make us 100%. feel. And something yes. about what movies, like any great art, like music and books and, and uh, art and in, in, uh, like painted art and media like that, uh, when they make us feel something, that's the reflection of life that they give us. And each of these movies make us feel. And I think that's, I just love it. I love, this 100%. was such a great 100%. decade too, where there was just this, this exuberance and innocence in a lot of these movies that they, I mean, there's a lot of kind of non-innocence in this, but some of these like right. the blockbusters are just so uh, unencumbered and non-jaded, I think is, is a good way to put it. Some of these movies that you just don't get past that. It compares like the 70s or the 90s or yeah. the, like the, the all the other decades basically except this one 
the 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 great pieces of filmmaking are, are much more jaded yeah. uh, than most of these, like uh, than Back to the Future is, you know, or, or, or Raiders or anything. I'm very aware. That, so my surprise earlier of your having ET at number fifteen is that I don't even think I have ET on my list, and that's a big. I should have ET on my list. So. I had I ET at twenty one. Yeah, I always forget about ET. That's funny. ET uh, is the highest made the most money in the in the 80s it's yeah. the highest it was the highest grossing movie of all time for like 30 years until the titanic right yeah yeah anyway and then the yeah. re-release of uh, star wars kind of kept pushing oh, okay. for a real long time in a, in a level when the ticket prices weren't when inflation didn't do it like it still right, right, is right. if you were to take a, a real strict analysis of like proper movies and like zeitgeist of stuff like et like was the number one movie for like almost 12 months it was crazy yeah. something like that yeah i had a ridiculous run yeah so anyway uh tell us what you think on twitter uh tell us uh what decade you might want us to do again if even it's zero decades maybe you don't want us to do another show like this <laughs> uh but uh hey yeah. if you don't like this please let us know i mean i don't have yeah that's know. true tyler I mean, and i do this in our normal life uh we just he started a oh, podcast we and it. we just started recording these conversations yeah. instead of not and, so. and again we didn't we weren't shutting jay out jay just couldn't be here but we knew that uh J, jimmy and i love this conversation perhaps more than jay does <laughs> and, and so uh <laughs> no need to put yeah if, there, I if think. we were going to have one where jay couldn't be there this is the right one to have so i don't um, know uh, I thought the 80s, I was excited to pick the 80s for Jay because yeah, I thought he could participate oh, and, more. And Jay definitely has a lot to contribute. I love Jay's contributions to the 2000s. So I, I do miss Jay. This is not, uh, don't worry, don't we're not going to continue this without. <laughs> you didn't think of I, his, I don't uh, know if I needed, uh, but <laughs> I was really excited to hear what he, because he would have actually had his good movies. I think the 90s yeah. will definitely include him in the 90s. That'll so be the I'll, one? He'll have a lot in the 90s. The '90s is a four is a four-hour podcast. That decade oh, is a boy. Uh, that's a insane. There's so much depth going it. And where do you go with the night? Anyway, we'll do that on that podcast. Uh, for see right you, now, we'll see you next. We'll see you in 2021. <laughs> yep. So I've been Tyler. I've been Jimmy. And Jay's not here. And this has been roughing, roughing the pastor. The pastor. We did it. Yeah. Hey, who's your favorite Muppet? <laughs> <laughs>